Welcome to Savvy Sabs podcast on call in. This is episode 102. Kremlin attack. Who done it? Who attacked the Kremlin? Russia claimed Ukraine attacked the Kremlin, but now recent reports blame the U.S. government. Who do you think did it? And what could this mean for the conflict between Russia and Ukraine going forward? All right. So, Eric, I'm going to go ahead and invite you up as a speaker. And let's go ahead and get started with Bad Cookies. You are on the mic. How are you doing tonight, Sebs? Can you hear me? I can hear you loud and clear. Oh, sweet. Okay. Um, I wanted to talk about uh, the whistleblower for for uh, the Biden case because that is it? that is huge and like nobody's talking about it. And I, I have a conspiracy theory, and I wanted to run it by you, and you tell me what you think about it. All right. Uh, my conspiracy theory is: uh, what if the whistleblower is actually someone in the DNC? What if someone's like trying to forcefully get Biden out of the way because they don't want to come out and say, hey, we don't want you running. So this is their covert way of trying to get him out of the way. What do you think of that? That is an interesting concept there, Bad Cookies. I didn't think about that, but I could see that happening because, you know, for the most part, everyone has gotten on board with Joe Biden running for 2024 and they have not opposed his you know, re-election, they feel like he should run. And maybe behind the scenes, there could be other things going on. There may be mutiny at foot. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, the only reason I think that is because recently a lot of the DNC donors have been secretly saying that they don't want Biden to run. They want someone else. But the establishment is behind Biden because they know they can sneak in whoever they want behind Biden if they just stash him. Like, okay, let's keep Biden. He has a good chance of getting reelected once he's reelected. We kindly say, hey, you're too too far gone to do the job anymore. So we'll kindly ask you to step down. They'll impeach them himself. Uh, They'll impeach him themselves just to replace him. So you think there's a possibility that they may actually not even have Kamala uh, be the VP? Because I've heard people say things like that, too, that they're actually wondering if they even want Kamala to stay in that spot. They want to put in someone else who I, they think would be better suited. I mean, exactly. I was going to say, if, if this happens soon and you get President Harris, that that's a huge win for her in her camp. That's a good point. Yeah. That is a good point. Um, well, that's that theory. Uh, thanks for hearing that out. And then uh, the other theory I have is... Uh, what if what if Zelensky is assassinated while he's gone and out and the USA tries to blame Russia as that's them uh, retaliating for this, quote unquote, assassination attempt? That's something that is also possible. And I think, you know, I think nothing's off the table at this point. That's the scary part. Um, and I think that. There's no telling what the U.S. government is willing to do to try to make sure that Putin is out of the way. I mean, look, they're already talking about that the U.S. government is ready to wage war uh, to protect Taiwan. Like they're ready to bring in troops and like they just it's just just constant like warmongering. Like we you get they, they try to like pull troops out of one conflict and they're starting another conflict at the same time. Yep. It's just a, a never ending a never ending, 
you know, cycle. Like it just continues again because they have to feed that war machine. Mm -hmm. They have to feed the military industrial complex. Imagine how that money could be used if it wasn't going to the defense budget. Just think about all the things that that could be done for people in this country. Indeed, I totally agree with that. I um I just had that thought that I know I know the US has been saying that they they're trying to get Zelensky out of the picture and I figured they would try to tie up a loose end by taking care of him and then blaming Russia for it. It's something the US would do. And then yeah. if, they, if they do take care of him, then they don't have to worry about giving him any more money. That is correct. <laughs> you dig it. All right. Uh, that's all my conspiracy theories. Thanks for hearing me out, Sebby. You have a good night. You awesome. notice that uh, so Cookie's much changed his, uh, his avatar picture. <laughs> I noticed. <laughs> it, it was too triggering for you. Oh, <laughs> Joseph Kennedy the third one. I was like, yikes. It, it took me a while for you to see that one because I changed yeah, it like sometimes. for you to notice that one. <laughs> oh, man. All right. Have a good night. Yeah, cookies. Thanks so much, bad cookies. I mean, All I right, wonder Eric, if I'm going to get moving your... on, you know, if, if this is moving on from if, if I think there's a faction that's really ready to move on from Ukraine that they, you know, they feel that it's milked enough. MIC has gotten paid, you know, literally hundreds of billions of dollars. And they, they want to pivot now to China tensions. I, I think there's a, there's a faction that wants to do that. And I think it's the other thing. It, 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 I think those, those factions is infighting. And I think it's a mistake to assume that the government and the powers that be all have like a single plan and, and are all in, in step. You know, they, they, they fight each other. That's a good point, Eric. And then also, too, you know, it could be that behind like closed doors, maybe everyone in D.C. is not on board with this. I think it's very factional. I think it's Game of Thrones stuff all around. I see Lysol is in the mix. What's going on, Lysol? Hey, Savvy, how you doing? Doing great. How are you? Uh, doing pretty good. Um, would it be okay to take a brief tangent on, this, on a different topic real quick? Go right ahead. So <clears throat> I'm reacting mostly to the news. So the, in the last... A week, week and a half, there was two incidents. There was the one you probably seen or heard about on the New York subway where the guy choked out uh, the person having like a mental episode, like for yeah. 15 people just watched and nobody did anything. Yeah. It was that. And then in San Francisco, um, a Walgreens security guard shot and killed, um, I think it was like a tw 19 or 20 year old uh, young trans, trans uh, black man. Um, allegedly for stealing $14 worth of candy and then spitting on them. I didn't hear about that story, but that's ridiculous, but not surprising. Yeah, and the the the, D, the SFDA, the one who replaced Chesa Boudin in the recall, is refusing to press charges and refusing to re release the video. Ay, ay, ay. Yeah. And so, like, it's just... I don't know. The, another podcast I listened to called Higher Learning, they referred they referred to this the time now as like post BLM. And I was wondering if you think there's like any energy for like, you know, building up something like that again, or was like the kind of the, the ultimate disappointment and corruption of the national um, national chapter kind of like too bad to come back from. So I think that 
moving forward, I think that these activities like these organizing events need to be done outside of BLM just because of the reputation that it has now, unfortunately. But um, there are other organizations. I actually met a guy at the May Day rally who's a part of an organization um, where they do similar things as BLM. And in fact, he told me that BLM has received credit for some of the things that they've done. Um, but um, they've been very vocal against uh, Cop City, et cetera. Like, I think that BLM did receive a lot of the popularity in reference to these police brutality incidents or criminal justice. But even before there was BLM, there were other organizations that were actively on the ground uh, fighting for these types of, you know, fighting against this type of injustice that's been happening. They just didn't get the popularity. And actually, looking back on it, I think maybe we should have been suspicious that BLM became so popular as quickly as it did uh, and was constantly supported by mainstream media. That's usually a big red flag, right? If the mainstream media is pumping you up, uh, what's the connection there? Um, whereas these other activist groups hardly ever get any attention from mainstream media, but they've been around for a long time. But um, but yeah, I, I think there's local groups that are also involved in these types of of actions, but I think we're going to have to depart completely from BLM. Yeah, I'm trying to think. Um, Color of Change, I think, does some good stuff. Anti-Police Terror Project and then uh, Cop Watch are three of my faves. Cop Watch, I remember I first heard about them on Facebook. This was like, I think, a couple years ago. Um, they're another one that are that are really involved in these situations. I'm going to talk about the the incident that happened on the New York City subway tomorrow, because that one is just really, there's so much more information that came out today. Um, but it, it says something to, to how we, how, how we think is like Americans, like for you to just think that you can just take this matter into your own hands, you know, and, and the value of a human life. And it goes to show you that once again, Someone like the gentleman who was put in the chokehold, his life was just not considered uh, of value. And you have to ask, why is that? You know, people are like, well, he was homeless or, you know, he was poor or whatever. And unfortunately, in this country, people who are poor and people who are homeless are not considered valuable, uh, especially by the powers that be. And so we have to change the way that people think about a uh, class in this country. And we have to teach people that just because someone is from a lower class doesn't mean that they don't matter. And it's crazy. You have to say that in 2023, but we do. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I've, some of the closest I've gotten to fights in the last 10 years have been sticking up for people on the bus when people try to pull shit like that. So like, I, I know for a fact I would have stood up and at least tried to do something. I might've gotten knocked out myself, but at least it wouldn't have been like three people holding that guy down. It's fucking bullshit. I mean, this is like kind of this, this rising fascism of like, Oh, well, I guess that's just the thing now. Walgreens security guards kill people um, and homeless people get choked out on the bus. And it's like, no, we don't got to accept that shit. Yeah, unfortunately, a vast majority of Americans don't intervene. Um, and it doesn't even have to be this type of situation, but just other situations in general. People would rather you know, sit there and film it on their phone instead of stopping the action from taking place. And that's another thing that we need to change, like in this country. It's it's crazy. There was a video that went viral on Facebook. This was a couple of years ago, and it was Facebook Live. And there was a girl, she got into a fight with a group of other girls. And these other girls 
were just beating her up. And the other students, instead of trying to intervene, they stood around with their cameras and they were just filming. You know, that's the type of culture that we've we've now like developed in this country. It's it's really sad that like you see someone is obviously in danger and your response is let me film this. And that's not to say that if you don't feel comfortable intervening, they didn't even try to call the police or anything. Yeah, it's fucked up. I was actually, there was some, some people were comparing it to the Kitty Genovese case, Genovese case, the, the, the famous one they teach you about in like PolySci 101 about like the bystander effect and stuff like that. Yes. And somebody, somebody was pushing back and saying, no, actually like several people called the cops at that event uh, or when that was happening. They just, nobody picked up really sad that's just it's it's really sad and 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 again there have been studies that have shown that depending on what neighborhood you're in at that time uh police officers don't respond as quickly to poor neighborhoods as they do to wealthy neighborhoods and that's another thing you know what is the zip code and yeah. it's, it's crazy yeah and another thing new york and california have in common is they both recently pushed legislation that makes it easier for cops to uh 5150 people they say are having a nervous breakdown and it's just like as somebody who's almost 5150 once like i don't want to give them it's like it's gi giving them one more weapon to use to threaten people and it's like if, if we can't take care of people who are on the streets in front of us why would we think anybody's going to take care of them when they're like out of sight and nobody's like watching you know they're ramping up the police state because i think after the protests george floyd and after january 6 i think they really feel like you know, the people are upset and it's only going to be a matter of time before they come out in mass again. And I think they really want to make sure that nothing like what happened with the George Floyd protest, the numbers that turned out, they want to make sure that stuff never happens again. That's why they're making a cop city. That's why they're like militarizing the police force to stop us, because they know economically, if you look around, the economy is in the pits. And I don't care what Joe Biden says. All you have to do is look at the numbers and look at the data. He's talking about creating jobs. Look at all the people who can't afford to pay their rent. The homeless you know, rate has increased in this country. So economically, this country is in the pits. And I really believe like what Professor Richard Wolf said when he said like the best days of American capitalism or the American empire are behind us. I don't think we'll ever get back to the way that we used to be, right? So it's only a matter of time and I don't know if it'll happen in my lifetime or not, but it's only a matter of time for the American people start to get really, really angry and frustrated enough about the class issue where they take it to the streets over that shit. And yeah. when that happens, that's going to be insane. And the, uh, Atlanta, that reminds me, um, I read a really good article. It's on a, something called Scallywag Magazine, S-C-A-L-A-W-A-G magazine.org. And it's called uh, the Atlanta way, a primer on cop city. And it kind of takes, takes the gentrification efforts of, uh, Atlanta back to, I mean, back way back, but then like specifically back to like when they got the, um, the Olympics. And that was kind of like their main push to start gentrifying and pushing people out of areas and stuff like that. But it's, it's a really, really good, like if you don't know anything about Atlanta, which I didn't really, it was very thorough. I highly recommend yeah, Atlanta has changed a lot over the years. I got to be honest with you guys, because like the last time I was in Atlanta, which was I think it was just a couple years ago. It's just so like that's another place that that's been um, 
experiencing gentrification as well. It's just not getting as much attention as like DC and uh, Boston and New York has received in reference to that area. But uh, Atlanta, that's another one where you can go to neighborhoods in Atlanta that used to be like working class neighborhoods. And now it's like bougie and they're the, they have the luxury condos everywhere. Um, Buckhead, if I remember correctly, I have to check with my friend, but my a friend of mine lives in Buckhead. And she told me a couple months ago that people in Buckhead were actually filing so that they could be separate from Atlanta. They yep. wanted to be its own thing. Yeah, the rich people tried to secede from the rest of the city. Yep, that's what it is. For people who don't know, like Buckheads, that's where like, you know, a lot of professionals live there. Like, you know, lawyers, doctors, like that kind of thing. Like that's, it's really nice area. But um, there's some celebrities that live in Buckhead. I think Usher had a house in Buckhead at one point. But uh, yeah, they wanted to be separate from the rest of the city. It's already happening. So it's crazy that Atlanta has changed so much. Yeah, well, um, that, that's, that's all I really, good, all I really got. Um, thanks for taking my call. Thanks so much. All right, let's bring in Rue. Rui. Rui? Rui Costas? Rui, you are on the mic. You just have to unmute. I hope I pronounced your name correctly. R-U-I, Rui? Hey, my bad. I'm outside. Um, so I, I just wanted to draw your attention a little bit to what's happening in uh, East Africa. Have you, have you seen what's happening in Sudan? Yes, JB actually covered that earlier today. Oh, awesome. So I, I saw I saw him talking about Sudan, but then also um, I've been following some of it on Ann Garrison's Twitter account, but I, I don't know I don't know all the details about it yet. Okay, well, I mean, just that you're looking at it, I think is good, right? Because supposedly last um, Cold War wasn't as cold everywhere. You know, it was a bit hot in many places, and I think this one. You know, the way that the United States is sort of taking, um, it's not being first place anymore. I think we should be expecting something similar. You know, they say that the English, when they lost the empire, they sort of went away cleanly. I mean, or quietly, I'm not really sure how quiet, but that's what they say, right? And the U.S., you know, we're not very good. <laughs> we're not very good at losing. So, um, you know, and so... It, we're we're active in Africa. Um, Matt Gates is the one that, for some reason, supposed to be the the good guy here. I I don't know, but um, they're active in Africa. In Zambia, they're active. There's um there's um I just there's a there's um an interview by Breakthrough News. My bad. Sorry for the noise. Ambulance. There's an interview. Okay, well, um, while you wait for the ambulance to go by, I do just want to add that uh, Matt Gates is not necessarily the good guy. We just talked about this. I had um, a journalist on uh, who's from Somalia to talk about this legislation that Matt Gates was trying to get passed. 
U.S. troops from Somalia. And actually, that article is now posted on the Gray Zone, you guys, so you can read about that on the Gray Zone. Um, but what he explained yesterday is that Matt Gates was just asking to remove the U.S. troops, but Matt Gates is not asking to stop the warfare that's happening uh, among the Somalian people. So it's just important that people understand that because I know some people have already been saying like Matt Gates wants to end the war. Uh, the, the drone strikes in Somalia. That's actually not true. He just wants to take the U.S. troops out, but that didn't pass. You, you know, thanks for clarifying. I'm, I'm sarcastic, but sometimes I feel, you know, I forget that people, people believe this kind of stuff. Um, I just think that, you know, they allow Matt Gates's, you know, the, the, the bad politician, quote unquote, um, to hold these positions, basically, you know, to just make those positions toxic, right? Um, but he's not really going to stop any war or... And then the thing is, we got a bunch of uh, military people, you know, east of there. And then we got a bunch of people from Germany as well that could intervene at any point, right? So um, it's... It, it, yeah, we're not doing anything there. But this Breakthrough, Breakthrough News has an interview with Fred Mbembe, I think, right? And he's a, a, a Zambian socialist politician. And it's, it's an amazing um, interview because at some point he goes to list, you know, he talks about how we're lecturing them and stuff. And then we're telling them to be afraid of China, you know, the, the big yellow whatever. And so this guy goes to list the stuff that China has done in Africa versus the stuff that the United States has done. And the stuff China has, he says the Chinese haven't killed one African. And then he goes to list, it, it brings tears to your eyes. The amount of presidents we've killed in the, uh, we, you know, but I'm talking about the psychopaths. <laughs> but the amount of presidents we've killed, we've deposed, uh, it's, it's eye water. And then we're talking about uh, how much of a threat China um, is supposed to be to the Africans. And the thing is, like, people believe that. It's like, man, the, the, the propaganda that, that it takes to believe this kind of shit. Where China, again, hasn't killed an African while we have lit the whole place on fire, right? And the next door continent, we've also lit that on fire. And we put cancer over there, too. But that's all yeah. I have to say. Thank you. Yeah, well, very well said. No, it's true. Unfortunately, the American people are incredibly propagandized and... This is why we have independent media to try to wake people up and like, listen, you got to stop. You got to stop believing everything that you hear on CNN and MSNBC and Fox News. Like it's just State Department talking points at this point. Don Lemon. <laughs> yeah, well, well, Don Lemon's not there anymore. He was he was fired. But <laughs> um, and so Oprah, Oprah is now talking about how um, no, let me not touch that. Um, there's a, there's another interview that's interesting, right? There's the interview of um, by Brie of um, with what's her name, Margaret Kimberly, right? And so I, I I'd like your take on. Have you seen it? Yes, I have. But I've okay. I've had I've interviewed Margaret Kimberly a couple of times. Great, great. So they, maybe you can help me out with this. Because so I thought the Black Agenda Report would be definitely not interested in what's happening in the Democratic Party. But then like listening to her, it seems that she conceives what I think Bree's been trying to say for a moment, which is 
that we are ultimately, it seems, invested in what is happening over there because we all got sort of upset, you know, when the Democrats decided not to be so democratic and allow primaries. Joe Biden just said, I don't, I don't accept to be primary. <laughs> so, so she's like, basically, what does that mean? Are we sort of just pretending and breeze like accepting and then so we should do something about it? And Margaret's like, basically, that we have to, I think what she said was that we have to be invested in it. But I'm wondering, is she saying that first Marianne and RFK have to like make sort of like concessions to us, which I don't see, but I'm, I'm also not very open to listening to Amer these people. So like, are you hearing any concessions? Is there like, are you thinking, is that what Margaret Kimberly saying that we should take the first step or that they should take the first step? And if they don't ultimately, like, what does it do? Uh, I, I, I wasn't clear mm -hmm. for me, but I'll drop out. Thank Thank you. Well, when I uh, spoke to Margaret about this, like Margaret, I think what she says, like, we have to be invested is the fact that like, we still have to like pay attention to it. We need to know what's going on. We need to know what's happening. Right. Um, but she doesn't mean that we have to vote for them. And I think that's the difference. Cause I've talked to her about this before too. And, um, you know, black agenda report also includes a Jamu Baraka who was Jill Stein's running mate. Green Party. Um, I've seen Margaret Kimberly on Green Party panels before, too. It's just that you still have to pay attention to what's going on. And I think that's where it is, like, even for me, like, I'm not voting for a Democrat or a Republican, but just because I'm not going to vote for them doesn't mean that I shouldn't be paying attention to the news and what's happening. Because I, I really do think if there was ever a moment and this is something that Kim and I agree on. If there's ever a moment for them to really just shake things up, I think this is that moment. I, I really do. I feel like this would be the time for one of them. I don't think either one of them are going to do it. But for one of them to say, no, you debate me. Or you're just exposing yourself to everybody. Demand it. Demand to have a debate. Or two if either one of them is willing to walk away and do that dirty break, I don't think either one of them really are, but I've talked to Marianne. I haven't interviewed RFK Jr. yet, but, um, but if he did, if he did do that and did walked away and did that dirty break, I think that would really shake things up, but you have to pay attention to what's going on. It's, even if it's not something that you want to vote for yourself, I still pay attention to it. Um, let's go ahead and bring in, Oops, I'm making sure I'm in line right here. Okay. James. Okay, James, you are on the mic. Just got to unmute. Okay. Hi, Miss Savvy Sabs. Hey, how are you? Hey, I am good. This is my first time calling any podcast, anything like that. But I, I, I heard that. I did what, whatever I had to do to get on this. And I am impressed and amazed at your callers. And that really, that last caller just got me going. Uh, this this whole uh, in speaking of Marianne Williamson, I was just uh, just falling in love with her, especially from last last uh, election she was in, and uh, and I was kind of spitting it out to my friends that don't know anything about things like this, <laughs> and uh, and then and then RFK shows up, and I I really 
I'm watching myself. I'm you know, I, I got to watch myself for my prejudices and my, you know, uh, all that. I, I'm just like, he, I'm so much, I'm impressed with both of them. And I feel like they are both like the Neo moment. We need a, a hero. And I ha I'm sorry in a way that I, I, this RFK listening to his interviews, uh, he he within the first few minutes of his, his for the first the c-span uh announcement he was talking about the corporations dropped my jaw got my attention he follows it with everything uh he's me and him are uh, uh i was born in 62 during the uh, uh bay of pigs or something going on or, or the cr missile crisis uh and i've just kind of had my attention watching that that how things move politically and since it seems since the RFK, Martin Luther, and, and John F. Kennedy, that, that dark time in our history, it seems obvious to me. And I can't imagine it doesn't seem obvious to the history books. It has been taken over. And when Robert F. Kennedy Jr. was there quoting Eisenhower and talking about the corporations and then talking about, about the military industrial complex, talking about things that Joe and Trump are not going to address. How is that not the Achilles heel? I don't understand anybody that looks at this man and thinks twice. Uh, and I really, hopefully, uh, you can explain that to me. Because uh, he's, I don't know, he seems a little too good. Yeah, I mean, I, I, there's some things I disagree with him on, though. I don't think, you know, but there's no such thing as a perfect candidate. But... I will say Trump did call out the military industrial complex on Truth Social. He did a whole video about it. But again, that's Trump being Trump. We don't know what's happening mm -hmm. for reals. But um, I think in reference to RFK Jr., some people may be put off by the conspiracy theory rhetoric that mainstream media is, you know, revealing about him or saying about him. Um, what surprisingly, though, because I covered his announcement here in Boston on the ground, people are not so turned off by the anti-vax like smear that he's getting people that's not really working the way that the media thought it would work or the democratic party thought it would work because most of these people they're just like they don't care they just want to end these wars you know yeah like they don't care they just want to break up like the the military industrial complex like they just want the wars to end and they want you know, an economy that will function for everyone. But the big one for me, it seemed like most people were passionate about was the war state. And so that he spoke to a lot of people uh, with that message in particular. So this whole thing about uh, the smears of the anti-vax and stuff like that. And then there, of course, there are those establishment Democrat Party loyalists who are always going to go with the status quo candidate. And Joe Biden is the status quo candidate and RFK Jr. is not. Anytime you calling out the, CF, the CIA or the military industrial complex, the war machine, mm -hmm. you are not going to be accepted by the status quo. And RFK Jr. knows that. Mm -hmm. he, know, he knows. I mean, come on, look at where he come from. I think that's part of the attraction. But going back to where you were pointing out about the conspiracies, this is the thing that split me wide open. You used to get a jacket, you know, people call you crazy, tinfoil hat, all of that. With the advent of the Internet, a lot of things have changed, religion and politics among them. Probably mostly it was an information source. And watching that trend 
these so-called conspiracy theories, I think we're coming to terms with it. This man's walking out of a situation that he was born into as a firsthand witness is not a conspiracy for him. It's a lifestyle. And the integrity that he reflects of how he's kept his course in pace with his press, his forefathers, literal. Uh, I think I, I, I just it, it's almost to me, it's almost spiritual because he's even when it comes to things like uh, that, I'm afraid to hear his policies on 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 healthcare. I'm uh, uh, I'm, I'm like uh, anybody. I, I think we we're long past our, our policy on passing healthcare for everybody. But uh, it's it's just I, I'm I'm looking for an Achilles heel on this guy because he seems, you know, he, he seems to knock down those paper paper dolls like. Oh, you're a conspiracy theorist. Well, no. In fact, uh, he'll sit and educate you. What's he been doing? He's been a lawyer advocating for environmentalism or some integrity-based thing. No candidates. And, and I feel passionately, passionately enough to draw blood. And I don't know if that's okay to say. But when somebody comes in and speaks the truth, the truth is worth standing up for. And after watching the propaganda, even Obama broke my heart. When I hear he passed legislation to allow propaganda, it puts him when, you know, it's just like that guy's not who you thought he was either. And then Bernie turning coat, you know, and I'm just watching this guy. When when's a man or a person of integrity, of solid American conviction? And I'm so sorry to say, man, a person. Uh, and it's just he just happens to be a, a white man and that works against him. But uh, uh, on until you listen to him, which is all any American asks, I think. That's the country I want to belong to. But th- do you see where I'm at? I'm kind of like waiting for him to grow after burners like Bernie. Yeah, I-, I think that RFK Jr., I really do think he's got to take off the gloves and he's got to knock Joe Biden out. Like, I-, I really do. Like, this whole, you cannot follow the same tactic that Bernie Sanders did, which is the Joe Biden is my friend oh. uh, framing. That is not pleasing to some of us Bernie supporters, because in the end, we saw just how much of a friend he was to Joe because he told us, like, oh, just go vote for Joe Biden. And he's still defending Joe Biden and he's supporting Joe Biden right now, even though there are candidates running to the left of Joe Biden. So the thing is, is that the RFK Jr. has to understand is like, stop telling people Joe Biden's your friend. Stop telling people that, you know, you've known him for years. Like, we don't need to know any of that. All you need to do is go in the ring and knock him out. Like that's it. It, it, The people in this country right now have reached a breaking point Mm -hmm. and we don't want to hear that you guys are still going to be bros and and buddies after this is all over. We don't need to hear that again. Is RFK talking about being buddies with Joe? I know he knows him, but he probably knows he's a part of the uh, establishment. He knows the crook, right? Oh, he said in interview, he said in the interview, him and Joe Biden are good friends. I just, I just hope he's professional enough to allow that to not interfere with his judgment, because he seems like a good. You think RFK, not, not, not Bernie. RFK Jr. Yeah. is friends with Joe Biden. Yeah, he said this in, he said it in multiple interviews. Actually, he said not only are they friends, but he said he's also been a friend of the family for years. Okay, okay, okay. I've heard. Okay, I remember hearing that, and I, and in my mind, it's like it's sort of like a gentleman's agreement. Don't you think they're of that elite class where they can politely stab each other? No, I'm, I'm just hoping that's where it's going. Yeah, we're friends, but it's the so is Bernie and, and, and him. It's just like 
Joe was friends with them as well. He didn't mind kicking Bernie's butt. And I, I hope, I hope Joe, I, in my opinion, I hope Joe feels the same. It works both ways. Well, here's my take on this. I played sport, right? So like when I was in school and I had friends that went to other schools and they played sports too. But when we got on that court, we were not friends. And yeah, that's, yeah. that's what RFK Jr. needs to understand. When you were going up against him as a challenger, that friendship, no, 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 no. This is a competition. And you have to knock him out. You have to look at it like a sporting event. Like, you really do. And so it seemed like what I gathered from him, he was saying that, like, well, he's my friend. I don't want to do personal attacks. You don't have to do personal attacks. But you can knock him out in reference to policy and the way this country is right now and how bad the economy is and how things have continually, you know, gotten worse since he's been in office. But it, you can't go in this being nice. I talked to I interviewed a candidate, John Stasevich. He's running as an independent. I've interviewed him twice on my show. The last time he came on, he told me he wasn't looking for a fight. And I said, then that's a wrap. Now, you don't, you don't, I heard him speak in that reverence. I like to believe, I, I like to believe that uh, him not being aggressive is a yet thing. Because right now he's being introduced and everybody, it's kind of, you know, the kissing babies moment. Because he's got to get accepted in a wide circle. And, you know, they ask you to pander. He's got to at least, I think he's got to be a little strategic and not calling, uh, speaking too aggressively until he maybe steps over some threshold of safety, I think. I, I, I just think he's much more savvy than he's leading on. I, I'm hoping that anyway. It could be. He should use his experience as a, an environmental lawyer to his advantage. Because right now, a lot of young people are not happy about the fact that Joe Biden has gone back on his word about no more drilling. So there's the Willow Project that's happening. So a lot of young people who will be impacted by climate change, you know, they really need to hear from someone like RFK Jr. who has spent his life's work basically helping communities that have been affected by environmental, you know, exposure like bad chemicals environments like when you talk about like a flint michigan when we talk about east palestine you know ohio like rfc jr spent his career helping communities that were affected by environmental chemicals and so i think that that's something he really needs to express that more especially to younger people the gen z people because they will be impacted and and the, the, the anti-war message is another one that's really winning over a lot of people. So he's winning people who are Democrats, people who are Republicans, and people who are independents. I've had Republicans email me and tell me that they may break for the first time ever just to mm. vote. That is music right there. I'm taking up a lot of time, Savvy. I just appreciate you so much. Keep doing what you're doing. And uh, thank you so much. Awesome. Thank you. All right, I'm going to go ahead to uh, Noel. I'll go ahead to you, Noel, and then I'll bring in Ashura. Good evening, Savvy, and good evening, everybody in the chat. Um, you know, just to respond to what the last caller was, um, the issue he was raising about Kennedy, um, I think, you know, when you think about it, if you decide to run through the Democratic Party, it is a machine. And unlike the Republican machine where there are no superdelegates, 
there is this additional gear in the Democratic Party where you have to be circumspect to a certain degree because, you know, the whole purpose of the superdelegates is to be able to overwhelm the will of the chapter line and verse rank and file members of the party. And so, and and when I put that together with what we hear um, AOC saying about relational this and that and blah, 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 the the Democrats place a higher level of something on this appearance of unity. And I think, you know, RFK and Marianne Williamson, to a certain degree, are trying to run within the guardrails of this thing. But the, the, the problem is, um, as just a matter of political dynamics, the, I've always said the Democrat side, the constituency is made up of much more diverse, um, ethnicities and, and race and all of this stuff and income and education and what have you. And that can be like herding cats. Um, and so I think the Democratic Party attempts to portray unity to encourage people not to stray and not to delve into their own um, ethnic um, important things, their own ethnic desires or what have you. And so that the the alliance won't disintegrate. But I think the missed opportunity is as a compared to a Trump is being able to take the risk to burn it down and just speak directly to the people and the people's needs and let it let the chips fall where they may. And, you know, I don't know if it's just, you know, about the DNC and the superdelegates, but there does appear to be this thing that they're trying to do. And, you know, like I say, with the diversity of the um, Democrat constituency, some people, you know, like in the independent media space, those of us who have been following these things a little more closely and have come to the conclusion that it is the system, we're seeing this whole political gamesmanship play out differently because we understand how the system works in a different way. But the um, most ardent voters in the Democratic Party are the older voters, and they're probably listening to MSNBC and CNN and you know, they're going to be more suspicious of anyone who appears to be outside of the good graces of the DNC and this and that because, you know, they have not had an epiphany, so to speak. But, you know, tonight I have to say I was, you know, a bit disappointed in RFK in his in that um, speed round he did with the guy when he asked about the trans athletes. And I felt like his response, you know, fed the beast because he knows there's a lot of anti-trans sentiment out there and he jumped right in. But I thought it was really a um, impolitic response. And I thought it was rather clumsy because 
Um, you know, despite the fact that I'm being myself being a person of trans experience, you know, I think the appropriate approach to take to those types of questions in a political forum is to underscore that no one wants to be left behind. And then you frame your challenges or your reservations about the, you know, athletes competing and this, that, and a third. But I think the best way to approach those questions, especially when you're running for president, is to underscore how athletics and sport is about building camaraderie and teamsmanship and sportsmanship and building character. And even though you may not agree or you may not have come to a definitive position that you understand that everybody needs a place to fit in and everybody needs access to be included and to participate. And that way you can kind of skirt some of the most acrimonious issues around it um, without alienating a specific set of people and, and making people feel like, oh, you've just thrown them to the wolves. Because he idiot in his response that, oh, I don't feel like women should compete and this and that. And basically, that strikes that um, divide line to say, are women of trans experience really women? Um, and should there be, a, a, do they have to have a whole separate category or do we just need to really do some more work around how they are enfranchised in the sports place? And, you know, I just felt like a person as sophisticated as he is and well versed as he is, I would have expected something a little more conciliatory and something that spoke more to bridge building than, oh, throw this group to the wolves because I know that'll feed the beast. And so I was really disappointed in that because I thought it was um, a less than appropriate way than I felt he was capable of responding. Um, but that's it. Um, I, I felt like he he walked right into that one. I think he, yeah, he, yeah, because they I, I was like, oh, they're gonna get him on this. One. I don't think he yeah. Was but the I other think he thing needs is, you advising him, Noel, on that one. Oh, I would love <laughs> to be an advisor of sorts to these peoples because, again, like I always say, you know, as a black woman of slave descendancy and of trans experience and a senior citizen almost, I see this and on the poor side of the street, <laughs> I see this whole set of circumstances from the bottom up. And I just understand those dynamics of, you know, being oppressed, being disenfranchised, being alienated, this and that. But like I say, the one thing of of which I am certain is that no one wants to be left out and including people like myself and other people. And there has to be a way to frame the situation so that everybody has an opportunity to survive in this thing. And that's where I think we're losing it. And the political people are just too easy, enticed, easily enticed to throw somebody to the wolves you know, to feed a bigger constituency. But, you know, that set aside, I was so outdone with President Obama and their press freedom thing till I almost got a headache. Because <laughs> you know what I mean? 
I mean, he plucked my nerves from can to can't. And it was just like, what are you talking about? It was just so utterly, just such a mockery of everything. And then to follow up with Jean-Pierre saying, oh, I'm not, I'm not going to talk about this Julian Assange thing and go right into this monologue about the importance of free speech. And I was just, you know, I don't know if the other footage included it, but I'm expecting this is the press corps. I'm expecting y'all to be up in arms and redirect her back and say, oh, no, I want to follow up on that question. You you need to address this. This is important. But they sitting around looking like a bunch of scared mice. And it's just like that situation with Jose when he said, you know, y'all just a bunch of scaredies and you sitting up here getting these fat checks. Yep. But it is a, it's alarming to me because if the masses of poor and working poor do not have a reliable free press to be our partner in holding the government structures and institutions accountable, this is all but a done deal. Yep. Because the, if we don't have them to, you know, just like this situation now with the Supreme Court, oh, now you want to talk about um, Crow paid for Clarence Thomas's nephew's education at this school and all of this stuff. But these things were known all along. But the press has not been doing its investigatory work. And it seems like only after the reversal of Roe do you want to now come out and tell what you've probably already had ideas about all along. And I just think if we don't have that as a partnership, it is really going to take a revolution that leans towards something violent before this country is able to at least try and make a U-turn. And, you know, with our obsessions with violence and the gun culture and this and that, I'm just like, man, it's so much stuff going against us. Will, will we be able to make it? It's just crazy to me. And then finally, this whole thing about the Kremlin, you know, the footage to me just did not look like it was a robust type of something. <laughs> <laughs> I'm thinking when I saw it, I was thinking this may be a disgruntled Soviet dissident who, you know, tried to fly some contraption over in this net, but it didn't seem like a real threat to the Kremlin. And so we'll see where it goes. But, you know, any little thing in this environment can lead to an escalation especially in light of the the fact that Biden had made comments before, like almost giving Putin, I mean, um, Zelensky an ultimatum to do some type of spring escalation. So I'm like, you know, where is this headed? But I think that whole situation is just piss poor. And I hope this doesn't spin into an escalation, but things are just looking grim. I hear you on that one. I hear you. I know, like, I, I honestly expected this to be, like, some huge explosion. And then I saw the video and I was like, oh, okay. Um, it was I've okay. seen I've seen fireworks crazier than right. that. Right. I don't know. I don't know. Let me bring in, okay, Ashura, what's your take on all this? Just got to unmute. 
Hey. Hello. Uh, as uh, for the Soviet thing, the Putin assassination, I was expecting like, a huge explosion. I looked at it, it looked like a fucking firework. And I was like, uh, okay, either two things happened. One, the United States actually did it, or basically Russia just staged that shit because if they were going to hit him, why didn't they just reach the guy? Like it's like you're trying to you're trying to set up like somebody's trying to kill you, and the bullet just grazes you, or, or it just passes by you. <laughs> no, that's a good point, Ashira. Yeah, because I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if they did it. I mean, the U.S. has been doing that for a long time. Well, it seems like according to the poll, most people feel like the U.S. is responsible. <laughs> Yeah, I, I said that too. I'm like, I mean, U.S. is, they're the ones who've been wanting to, this war for a long time. And a lot of people, they finally realize all those Ukraine bio motherfuckers, they've now gone quiet. And like they said before, I think Jackson Hinkle said this, that once they're done with Ukraine, China's going to be the new war, the new Ukraine. And they're all, they're all moving towards China now. It's a it's a never ending thing. Like I said, they have to feed that military. They have to feed that war machine. Like that's that's the thing. Yeah, and remember uh, what a, remember what Assange says. The object is to to soak money out of it. The object is not to win. That's right. Yeah, because uh, there's all like the two things I saw the RFK thing. I'm like, I couldn't just stop screaming. I'm like, dude, stop calling him your friend. <laughs> it, it, you might as well say that Joe Biden can just beat Donald Trump, just like Bernie Sanders. Repeat those words. Can Joe Biden beat Donald Trump? Uh, uh, y- yes, he can. <laughs> In that voice. Now I'm starting to question people's friendships. I'm like, why? I don't know. Some of you guys that are friends with Joe Biden, I'm like, why? <laughs> I'm like, he's not. I'm like, he's not your friend. Stop saying that shit. All right. If you know his record, stop being nice. There's a point you're, you're saying, hey, take off the kid gloves. And I'm like, and I love that shit you did. Uh, these people look like uh, you're playing Mortal Kombat, and these guys are, <laughs> think they're playing Street Fighter or Double Dragon. But I will say this. Uh, even back in the 90s, I remember even in Haiti, like the biggest fighting games we were playing, Street Fighter and Mortal Kombat. Those were the two competitions of fighting games between uh, teenagers when I was in Haiti. Yeah, like those were the ones. Like, you remember Double Dragon, Ashura? Oh, I, I, I've, I've, I've had people I know that used to play it because these people had more video games than uh, console games. My first console game was Nintendo 64 because I was just playing these other Super Nintendo, Nintendo at my friend's house. Gotcha. Yeah, it's just, I mean, like, you, you can't be... You can't be nice about this. Like you just like, honestly, like I'll be honest with you guys. I'm so, I'm so tired of this, this conflict with Russia and Ukraine. Like I really am. I'm just like, can we just end this already? Yeah. I'm like, just, just give, give, give uh, the Donbass what it wants. Independence or let them do another referendum so that people can say Russia stole uh, the Donbass. Cause uh, from what I can tell, the Azov Battalion were marching on the on the uh, on Crimea, and they said, "Fuck this shit, we're going to join Russia." And I heard that they lost like half the military force when that shit was happening. Like uh, the young military people, they abandoned they abandoned like uh, the Ukraine side and just decided to just go with Crimea. Well, I mean, it's it's 
this whole thing, like, it's just, it's crazy to me that I, I never thought like in my lifetime, number one, we would even entertain trying to escalate any type of tension with a country like Russia or China. <laughs> yeah, well, oh, well, they're doing war games openly. Uh, that was funny when they're doing their war games. It, it's it's like a monopoly or some some game where you just put the pieces on and you're just playing. Oh, this is how you think it's gonna win. I'm like, motherfucker, you don't know how this war's gonna go. You're predicting it. You think what you want to go. This is like head cannon shit. There you go. Mm. Yeah, because it, it seems to me like the RFK he. He Ralph, he really fell into the trans thing, because when, when when they were giving those three questions, I'm like, wait a minute, this seems like fucking culture war shit. Yeah, I, I but like I said, like he didn't ask him anything about the economy, he didn't ask anything about healthcare, about poverty. I'm surprised he didn't even bring up the crime issue, which usually they'll go with that one, but he didn't even bring up that. Like it was just, I'm like, why are you not asking about what most Work, especially working class, like most working class people are concerned about right now, which is the economy. Why are you not even asking about like wages or anything like that? Like, I was like, they're going to try to get him. And they did. And they did. Like to Noel's point, he didn't answer that question in the right way. You know, yeah. even if that's what he feels. He could have answered that in a different way. I mean, you know, the corporate media is never going to ask those those questions that we want them to ask. But it's really up to RFK to to then turn it, you know, and pivot it to the things that he wants to talk about. You know, he could have he could have pivoted after that trans question and just said, like, you know, why are we talking about sports when we're about to have World War Three and then go into that whole spiel? But he mm -hmm. doesn't really seem to have the acumen to do that. Right? Oh, I, 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 I think he has the acumen. I think he's being too fucking nice to the media. I would have fucking called him out the first place. Why don't you give me four, three, four questions? I'm like, hey, after the first, third question, I'm like, hey, why did you sound like you're giving me some culture war bullshit? But you know what, though, Ashura? That's the same thing Bernie Sanders did. Yeah, because he should know that they're playing him. He should know they could have fucking put a trap on him. And I was like, yo, it's a fucking trap. He f Once they got to that trans thing, I'm like, oh, fuck, he fell right into it. Yep. You know, back in when Bernie first ran, like in 2016, I mean, he, he would he would go at it like a laser. I mean, it didn't matter what you ask him. He would eventually he would say, you know, the billionaires and the and Wall Street. And, and, you know, and that's when he was really successful. I mean, he just hit at that stuff mercilessly. And I mean, then he changed and, you know, whatever. But, you know, that's the way you do it. Yeah, he was I think he was spoken to. Yeah, and, and like Eric said, why would, they, why would they basically talk about the shit that might make RFK look good? They just wanted the culture war bullshit because they wouldn't talk about the economy. They wouldn't talk about uh, jobs, healthcare, that kind of shit. Because if he if he if he even they even touch that and he responded, it'll be the it would look like a complete different RFK compared to the uh, the whole uh, he's a conspiracy theorist, he's a anti vaxxer that that kind of bullshit. Yeah, that's a good point, too. And the thing is, is that, and by the way, I don't believe that these commentators aren't aware of this. I think they're very much aware of this. But again, like, they have to, in order to keep their job, they have to talk about the things that they're, quote unquote, allowed to talk about, right? But the majority of Americans are not thinking about these things. 
They're not thinking about these issues. You know, it's not even in their everyday like discussions. They're not thinking about this. Oh, and, now that you, oh go ahead. Since you brought that up, I was, you know how like I tell you, like I, I work in a building, a lot of these security guards, they tend to watch CNN. And one of the security guards, like this one, he's, he's the guy that asked me uh, when I told that Joe Biden was a racist, he was telling me that Joe Biden was good to black people. He was the greatest president. <laughs> he was the greatest oh president. God. And he's like, he was a good man. He's like, he can change. He's not a racist. He, it's been 40 years. Blah, blah, blah. Okay, he came up to me. He's like, um, I know you say you like Trump. I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. Back up. Where the fuck did I say I like Trump? I said, but yeah, you were basically comparing when, when I when we talked about last time about Trump and 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 Biden. You always basically say that Donald Trump has done less than Biden, and Biden Biden's the bad guy. I'm like, yeah, that <clears throat> that doesn't mean I like Donald Trump. I'm just comparing the fucking homework. They're both evil. Yeah. The one's even worse. Well, and then do that, sure. <laughs> and then then he tries to guilt trip me. He says. Well, uh, if you were in the United States and you didn't vote for Biden and you let Donald Trump get in, well, it's on you. I'm like, I don't give a fuck. I'm not voting for either one of them. That's the thing that that really got me. You know, I, I remember I remember people being uh, voter shamed for not voting for Hillary. That one was really bad. Because um, people were just like, you gave us Donald Trump and like, no, <laughs> Hillary Clinton oh, yeah. should have ran a, a better campaign. But and even some people, people who voted like third party, they were shamed, like people who supported uh, Jill Stein were smeared um, and people were really angry. And they were like, all you guys that voted for Jill Stein, like you basically gave us Donald Trump. No, we didn't, because if you do the math, even if Hillary Clinton would have received Jill Stein's votes, it still wouldn't have mattered. Hillary Clinton still would have lost because yeah. that's not how our election works for president. Like it's, it's based on the electoral college. And so she still wouldn't have won the states that she needed to win in order to win the presidential nomination or to win the election. Yeah. And by the way, the conversation was civil. So there was no shouting <laughs> because once he found out he couldn't convince me, like, to be honest, he's like, he let it go. And we just talked about other shit. <laughs> I, I was like, really? How do you think that uh, he, he's better than Donald Trump? They're basically the same guy. One is just has a very, has way more shit, way more fucking blood on his hands than Donald Trump. Not that Donald Trump doesn't have blood on his hands too. Is that the guy who said he was hungry? Yeah, that guy. Okay. <laughs> Next time, give him a sandwich or something. Buy him a sandwich. Nah, man, he, his Ramadan is over. He, he's he's eating now because he, he he was waiting for seven thirty. Now he's eating early than seven thirty. Oh, okay. Give him a cat. Yeah, uh, yeah um, it's just that I don't understand how some people could think that just because you have some. Well, even even brought up Trudeau, he's like. What about Trudeau? Would you vote for Trudeau versus the conservatives? Like, yo, I'm like, bro, I, I've never voted in my life ever since I've been in Canada. It's like, why? Because I don't trust politicians. I, I even told him, like, Justin Trudeau recently said a couple of days ago that he don't remember what he did about with the truckers, that he, he didn't really uh, try to uh, 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 take away the truckers' rights or jail them. 
How could Perfect. he have forgotten that already? Sure. <laughs> that wasn't that long ago. <laughs> yeah, he did revisionist history. Of like, he looked at me and was like, okay, fine. <laughs> yeah, uh, I keep telling you, this is why people don't vote either in Canada or the U.S. because they don't trust politicians or liars. But see, that's the real diabolical nature of the system and the way the Democrats and Republicans collaborate to gaslight the masses is through this binary choice. It's like they know that as the elite, they're going to basically make the same types of economic decisions. So they're not as you know, put off by one or the other running the country. and But the real fear is a third party. So they come together and make sure that never happens because they're like, okay, it's going to be an A or B. And if it's not the Democrats, it's going to be the Republicans. And that's fine by all the elites. Like there was the, the one rich guy who is a donor to the Democrats more so than the Republicans. He actually said, if you all put allow Bernie Sanders to get the nomination, we'll vote for the Republicans and we'll donate to them. And that's the way they hold the system hostage. And so the unsuspecting average voters are like, ooh, if it's not going to be Joe Biden, we're going to get Trump. And, ooh, Henny Penny, the sky is falling. Instead of saying, you know, we really need to build out a third option and we need to figure it out. Everybody's like, ooh, it's got to be A or B. And once they give it to Biden, we got to vote for Biden because, ooh, Trump is the big bad wolf or DeSantis or, you know, Vivek or all of these other people or, you know, what's the girl name? Nikki Nimrata. It's like, I am so tired of Vivek using black people to get ahead stomping on black he's this indian guy running for president and all he does is trash black people trash reparations and says i believe in a world where there's you know let's not talk about uh skin color but (laughs) like like first of all most people he he and, and then like when he talks about stuff that's not race it's regular republican nonsense which is don't talk about stuff that affects working class people, but talk about like debts and deficits. And, and, and uh, he says he's going to end affirmative action. I'm like, fine, end it, because it's not benefiting black people anyways, benefiting uh, Hillary Clinton's and all different other types of white women. You know, that's, what I'm true. that's true. That's true. A lot of people don't realize that, you know, so it's just like, oh, by the way, I got to I'm going to use that, by the way. This ain't no street fighter. This is Mortal Kombat, bitch. Not <laughs> just. I love that. This is not Street Fighter. This is Mortal Kombat, okay? And we need you to be Scorpion, and we need you to throw out that little fire chain that you have in your belt and say, get over here. We need you to do that. I just finished watching the the, uh, latest iteration of that last night where Sub-Zero is, like, old. But yeah. You mean the... uh... You mean the, the 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 recent Mortal Kombat movie that came like on uh on HBO? It's a animated joint. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Really, there's a there's an anime movie. I, I thought the last one I, I saw. I thought the anime one I saw that was when Scorpion killed the uh, Shinnok. 
so there was there was I think that's the second one. Okay. But there's one after that when school, with, with Sub Zero's an old guy. But anyway, yeah. Um, yeah, 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 exactly. But the, the, you know what the thing is, um, Sabrina, is that there's too much talk about um, what do you call it? If if there is some way we can get change the narrative when it comes to the economy, if there's somewhere, some way that we could change the, the narrative, instead of making them talk about the economy, we talk about um, how good or how well the um, working class people are doing, right? So I was thinking something along the lines of, have you ever thought of, um, uh, 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 so I was thinking of this. Now, tell me what you think of this. Create an agency for uh, within the labor department or a separate government entity that does monthly measures on the current state of income inequality to inform the public whether it has narrowed, widened, or stayed the same. Justification for this is, is this. The way things are done now, when we look at the overall economy and how it is doing, we use that as an indicator as to how regular Americans are doing financially. This is not an accurate assessment of how regular everyday workers and poor people are doing due to the fact that due to the fact it looks at people's portfolios, their stock, home ownership, which most Americans don't have. It's a misdiagnosis on how working people are actually doing based on their purchasing power, which is not a good indicator either, due to an assumption that people have money to spend, when in reality, people don't have money to spend, they have credit cards they are using to pay for necessities due to their not being enough money in their paycheck to pay for what they need and then some. So we base our purchasing powers on money we don't have, but what we think they have instead of actually what they're using, credit cards and not money from their paychecks. So we need something a bit more accurate to see how workers are really doing and having the Department of Labor or a separate government agency measure on a monthly basis, uh, measure specifically income inequality. So I was just wondering what you thought about that. I think that's that's really interesting. And honestly, that just reminded me, we're almost close to the time for that report to come up again, right? The housing mm -hmm. report. That's in that. Well, that's in the summertime. That's that's in August, July, August. Oh, OK, yeah, because I, I want to definitely take a look at that again this year. But I think that would be a good idea. What do you think, Ashura? What? Uh, oh, I, I was uh, I was just listening to what he has to say. I, I don't have anything to say about that part. <laughs> that has to do with American politics, so I didn't know that much about it. I was going to answer Noel's question, not question, when she was talking about how uh, political parties they don't have third parties. Uh, they want third parties in America. Well, around here we have multiple parties. We have third parties, but they're all they're all a bunch of neoliberals. Uh, you got a Green Party that always gets five percent, so they're they're basically a fish out of water. Nobody cares about them really. Uh, you got the NDP around here; 
you would probably see that they would be a contender to the to the liberals, but they basically go in hand in hand with Trudeau. And then you got like maybe go ahead, sure. There's about four conservative parties in Canada. In Ontario, there's two. Is in Quebec, you got a bunch of nationalists. There are like three parties in Quebec. So there's more conservative parties in Canada than there are in the U.S. And then the, yeah, there's like five. You know what I mean? Four. I mean. Focus so then how, do you, how do you guys pass progressive policies? Then? Yeah, most of the conservative parties are small, aren't they? Sure, isn't there just? Oh a... uh, no, there's like there's the conservative party, and then the, it's splintered with this guy uh, Maxime Bernier. He he did some fucked up shit, and he made his own party a conservative party. So it's like a lighter version. And then when you get to Quebec, you got the Bloc Québécois. These guys are like nationalists, and then you got conservatives over there. There's another party in there too. So you got these got there's more conservative parties in Canada than there are leftists, and the leftists are mostly a bunch of neoliberals. Right, but I mean in the national parliament, I mean isn't it almost all just conservatives and liberals and a bit of NDP? Yeah, they're all in there, but uh, they just want to basically talk shit to each other. Because most of the time when they talk shit, they're just clapping behind. Or somebody says something and then they clap. But then how do they, how do you pass, how have you been able to pass progressive policies in Canada? I don't think they have for a long time. It depends uh, how much, how much do you have political clout and who's willing to basically uh, join forces with you. There are times the liberals have joined forces with the conservatives. If they want to do pro-war shit, if you don't have the, if you don't have the numbers, like I told you last time uh, that when it comes to Justin Trudeau, he can be a prime minister indefinitely as long as he keeps winning. But if he went from a supermajority and he became a minority government, that means they, they are forced to join forces with people they don't want to force. Because if you have a supermajority, you can just do whatever the fuck you want. But then if you, if you have a minority government, you have to join forces with the other parties. But you have to give out concessions. And they don't want to do that shit. Oh, okay. It's a parliamentary system. Yeah, exactly. It's different. So if, by the way, if you lose a couple of times and you keep being a minority leader, the party can just, okay, man, we are, we've, we've had our fun. Time to kick you out. Time to kick you out. We'll find somebody else. We still, we'll, we'll keep the power you gave us, but we'll kick you out and find a new leader. Okay, that makes but sense. But I think kind of the problem is, is there's, no, there's no left-wing party anymore, really. If yeah, they're the all NDP, yeah, the, the NDP, which is the New Democratic Party, New Democrats, um, like back in the day, they were a real left-wing party, kind of an insurgent party. They they came into power in Ontario for a while. But at this point, there's really, there's really, I don't think there's really much of any daylight between the NDPs and the Liberals. Well, back then when Jack Layton was alive, I almost voted that time for the first time. Uh, but then I realized that this guy was pro-military. But then, but he really got me hooked. Then I wanted to vote the next time. Next time I see Jack Layton, he's skinny as fuck, and he died from cancer. Hmm. Yeah, because I saw him. He was, like, fine and shit, and three months later, he's all skinny and shit, and then he died. And then this new guy, Jack Mead Singh, oh, he's just like fucking Justin Trudeau. And the funny part is he's a Sikh. And this is the same. This is the same race thing that Justin Trudeau did when he blackfaced himself. 
and wear a turban on his head. Mm, mm, mm. But back to yeah. the same old thing is, is the money, right? I mean, it's yeah, it's the same thing. There, there's no difference. Funding no, everything well, and, and calling the shots. You know, it's about interest. You know, there's, there's the interest of the the top point one percent, and there's the interest of the rest of us. And we know who everyone in government right now is representing. So I, I feel like that's what we need to build build our politics around. Yeah. Uh, by the way, the strike. I don't. I think it's over or somewhat over. Uh, I think it's over. Oh yeah. Is there news? Yeah. Somebody told me that they're still striking. Is that everybody else have gone back to work? But there's people who are. Uh, I think it was people in the Revenue Canada thing. They're still striking. But the rest have gone to work. Hmm. That's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Ashura. Yeah, yeah. Is there um, is there like a lot of partisanship? And in, in, yeah, huh? you mean parties? Yeah. Does this, this, do you see a lot of partisan nonsense in yes. Canada? Yes, they do the same shit. I, I'm telling you, you should just watch it. You'll just stand up, and somebody will talk shit about the other side, and then they'll clap. Somebody then will get up, back up, and do a clap back, and then there's some their side will clap. And it will be a back and forth nonsense, but they all agree on war. They all agree on war. They all they'll put some flower language, or oh, we need to send money over there to help the women and the children. So we, as Canadians, they love to put that fucking sentence. As Canadians, we gotta basically show what's right, what's moral. I'm like, get the fuck out of here. So, Canada. So, okay, so with, uh, let, let, let me just say this real quick. So, how many parties are there? Uh, there's like uh, there's like four in total. The conservatives they're split. I mean they've got a second party w- within the, within the party, and okay. there's like a, another conservative party. Another well they're not conservative but they're nationalists. But you can mind what's all kind of conservatives. Then the bloc can be quiet. They're basically in Quebec side. They're nationalists. They want Quebec separated from Ontario, like their own country. So you got like three or four parties, and there's still partisanship. Yep. Now you see why I say it doesn't matter how many parties you got. You're still going to, you're just going to amplify the partisanship nonsense. Yep. Abolish all parties. One of the things that Canada used to be known for was they would, um, they would do like, they would send in like UN peacekeepers. They used to be kind of their thing and that they and whatnot. And, that, and, and it used to be, you know, all about peace and and helping other countries and right and whatnot. And and now that they, they, from what I can tell, they just degenerated into a client state of the U.S. and just you know they're sending billions to Ukraine and they just become the U.S.'s lapdog. Uh, what do I you think, sure I don't know if that's a a fantastical thing you're saying there, but I'm pretty sure. That if they're part of the uh, neoliberal or basically the order, the established order, I'm pretty sure that it was some smoke and mirror they told you to make you believe that. Because you mean about Canada the peacemakers? I mean yeah, the peacekeepers. Yeah, because well, they... I'm talking about going back, you know, a, a lot of years now too. <laughs> yeah, but well, how, how how far can you basically say that the United States was doing the same shit? I mean, they could they could have just doing the same shit. You just printed it up. Hmm. Can you really say you trust governments in reality of all the governments from yours to, to the, the, the what's what's in my country well in Canada right now? Can you really say that 
they really have people's best interest. I mean, they didn't want to give people a nationalized health care. They had to go out there and people had to go out there and get it. And then when one province saw what the other was doing, and then they had to collectively do it. They didn't, the government didn't want to do it. They wanted to give you, make you pay for it. Yeah, but at least they did it. At least, you know, we never managed it here. <laughs> well, the hmm. people made, made them do it. Uh, once one province saw it, they all basically said, okay, let's implement that system. Mm. And then it became nationalized. Yeah, there was, a, there was a guy from Canada that came onto my show, like, back, it was two years ago. Like, um, it was right before the marches for Medicare for All. And um, he was just, he just really did not understand, like, why we haven't started with, like, California first. And I explained to him that, like, like you know, big money, big pharma kind of controls that. And that's why we don't have, you know, universal health care for everyone in this country. Like, he just didn't understand it. He was just like, he said, that's just ridiculous. Like, y- your country should take care of the people. So, and he, and he was conservative. He was a conservative from Canada. But he still well, yeah, he said that- it didn't make any sense. Well, that's the thing. It's like with the French thing, the the whole um, the whole uh, pension thing, where every, France is fucking burning. Well, that's mm-hmm. the thing with conservatives. The conservatives here in Canada, they know not to touch that shit. That's kryptonite to them. They touch that healthcare. They try to reduce it, the pensions and shit. It's over. That that'll give the liberals a super majority instantly. They can't have that shit. They gotta be number two. You gotta be the opposition. Whoever gets the number two spot is the opposition. And they've been fighting with the NDP not to be number three. Number three is just like a, you're like a placeholder. Oh, my God. It's like that thing you said with the church where people come around just giving the, <laughs> they're giving the basket of money. Yeah, that's what you are. So, so they, so to, to reemphasize, uh, more parties cause more divisional partisanship. And you did province by province by province by province. Yes. And I'm trying to do state by state by state by state. Same damn thing. You could just replace the word province with state. And you have naysayers saying, no, it has to be national. I think the guy who said, uh, Sabrina, why don't you start with California? Mm -hmm. Um, We should be starting with North Dakota. It's a cheaper state. Well, for two reasons. Well, for three reasons. Citizen ballot initiative state through by direct means, citizen initiated constitutional amendment. Two, um, they're a public bank. They got a public bank. Three, it's a cheap state to run ads in, whereas something like California is an expensive state. You know what I mean? So I think the states to start with would be the the, the citizen uh, initiated constitutional amendment states to start with would be Arkansas, um, would be uh, Oklahoma, would be the Dakotas. Um, I don't know if Arizona is a is an expensive state. Probably medium. I think it's probably a cheap state or whatever. You know what I mean? And 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 start and start with those. You know? uh, I will comment before I let Dwayne in. Um, I think when a when, when they people talk about the what about nationalizing it before you go with uh, localizing it. Because we did it the way I think it was done here in Canada, they had to be like from province to province. And then once the government saw that people loved it everywhere, they couldn't, they, they had no choice. They had to say blanket everywhere. So the government is the one funding the, the money for these provinces. 
So, okay, that makes that makes sense. I see K Steady QB has just jumped in. What's going on, K? Hey, what's going on? Can you hear me? Just want to make sure you. Can. We can hear you. Okay, I'm I'm here at work, so if I jump out by any chance, um, that's me taking the call, and then I'll try to jump back in. Just make but, sure um, to put yourself on mute. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. I'm paranoid about that now, but um. Yeah, I'm good. No, I'm good. I just want to tell you guys about um some clips that I fresh off the the press, right? Uh, Marianne Williamson was on Hannity tonight, and that was uh interesting <laughs> to say the least. Oh um, dear God! <laughs> and then also, um, I wish I'd have saw it this morning. Uh, Simone Sanders was on Morning Joe, and Morning Joe or Joe Scarborough asked her about Robert Kennedy Jr. challenging, and she said. Oh, don't, what did she say? She said, uh, I, I don't know if I should even take you seriously asking me that question. Like something along those lines. And, and then she said, well, you know, Steve Bannon might be bankrolling him because you know, the technicalities of getting on a ballot is, is so hard. The point she's trying to make is it's so hard to get on a ballot that Steve Bannon might be bankrolling his campaign, which is a smear. And it's just, it's so interesting to see how undemocratic these establishment neoliberal Democrats are. Yeah, I would have been like, do you have evidence of that? Yeah, and not only that, my my point is, uh, why do you need a whole bunch of money to even run for president or for any higher office? Exactly, exactly. Mm -hmm. All right, let me bring in uh, Dwayne. Dwayne, you are the next caller. What's going on? Just got to unmute. Hello, how are you? Uh oh, we can't hear you. I'm gonna add you as a speaker. I think that happened last time too. Um, it's just this app. Go ahead, Roger. While we're waiting for Dwayne. Um. So, Marianne, um, I remember Lucy showed me something about uh, Marianne saying um, that she thinks someone asked her about how does she feel about direct democracy and ballot initiatives at the national and state level. So she said, oh, you know, I, yeah, I believe it, it should definitely be, you know, like I'm all for it at the state and local level or whatever, but at the national level, no, because then it's like mob rule and blah, 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 blah. And I was like, okay, so going by your logic, you're good with mob rule at the state and local level, but not for the office that you're running, the level of government that you're running ahead. So, when I heard that, I was, I mean, well, it's not like when I heard that I was through with, I was through with her like a long time ago, but it's like they're all for it as long as it doesn't affect them. That's scary. Mm-hmm. I, I haven't seen that. Um... No, I, I sent it to you, I, you know, but I know, I'm pretty sure you like, you know, oh, you send me a lot of stuff. I don't get to see it. So it's probably one of those things. <laughs> I was just about to say that. <laughs> but I think you might have commented on it, though. I, I, did I? I don't know, Roger. Like, honestly, like, my brain is scattered sometimes. Um, Dwayne, what's going on? Can you maybe mute yourself and then unmute? That might help. In the meantime, I'm going to go ahead and um, bring in Brady. What's up, Brady? What's going on? That's right now. Hey, Sabi, I apologize. Um, I'm on a podcast right now, yeah. 
we're going i'm with my musician friend isaiah is really good drummer uh, i just wanted to say um everyone just take a moment to uh appreciate the fact that we're not talking about putin getting assassinated tonight and just enjoying some kind of relative peace you know um let's do what we can to prevent that from happening because nothing's promised yeah that would be pretty crazy um Dwayne. Yeah, we can't hear you. I don't know if you're using a Bluetooth or if you have headphones or anything like that, but. I apologize. How's my mic? Sabrina, oh, I sent it. Microphone check. Sabrina, I sent it to you Sunday and you sent me back a laughing emoji. Oh, maybe I did see it. I forget. Shoot. I don't know, guys, I, you know what? I watch so many videos and read so many articles throughout the week. I don't even remember. <laughs> I'll remember some of this stuff if I don't do it the next day. If I don't cover it the next day, sometimes I forget. But um, yeah, your audio was fine, Brady. Dwayne, I think you might be stuck in a glitch. Like you're unmuted, but we just can't hear anything. So I'll, I'll go ahead and pass the joint, but uh, I appreciate what you're doing, Sabby. Keep it up. We got to organize and make sure that we don't initiate World War Three because nothing's promised. Like I said, you know, we're, uh, this assassination attempt is just kind of showing that we're right on track with the narrative towards war and we should be more than in the streets um, doing everything we can with our money, our time, our energy and staying focused. I hear you. I hear you. All right, Dwayne, let's uh, try again. I can't. I can't hear you. Um, I'm not sure if you're using your phone or if you. Yeah, Bad Cookie says a good point. Close the app and come back. And then, um, yeah, because I'll, I'll be here. But I'll go ahead and bring in. Uh, Rui. What's going on, Rui? Just got to unmute. Hey, Savvy. Hello. Hey, so I forgot to ask you guys, are you guys down to um, to interview, to, ho to actually host a debate with, um, you know, the challengers to the Democrats? So uh, I did talk about that with Kim, but, you know, I told her better her than me. I don't think I would be the one to do that because I don't have, like, she has a bigger platform than I do. But then even she said, like, she thinks it should be bigger than that. Like, she thinks that it should, but it, it should needs be a to be, like, a someone could host it on Twitter or something. Like, if Elon hosted it on Twitter, it needs to reach a lot of people. So hey, Savvy, can you hear me? Yeah, we can hear you. You can hear me now? Okay, great. Oh, I don't know why that happened. I just wanted to say, because echoing that last point, which I really think was great, it's true. Uh, we, you know, Kim Iverson said the other day, Savvy, that this Brandon here, I, I mean, Biden, <laughs> I can't believe I said that. Biden here actually does represent an existential threat. I, I, I don't think Zelensky, first of all, I don't, I don't think that was an actual real assassination attempt. More, uh, I think it was more of just a, a warning, like a shot across the bow. Like we can reach you if we need to anytime we want to. Yeah. But I think that Zelensky doesn't do anything 
He doesn't get up in the morning and brush his teeth without permission from the United States. So that I do think that it was because of the amateurishness and everything else of that whole attempt. It was it was absolutely, you know, Ukraine doing that. But I don't think it was a serious attempt. It was just a warning. But there's no question in my mind because, you know, Biden actually came out in a speech and they had to like walk it back afterward and said that they want regime change in Russia. This is really what they want because Biden is not, as has been pointed out, there's no way he has the, and you too savvy, you've said this yourself. There's no way he's in control of what's going on. The man could barely walk in a straight line. He's not making decisions, but we have him surrounded by this whole neocon architecture and structure and the bureaucracy that is actually making the decisions. And these people are straight up lunatics. They're just crazy people that will actually risk. I mean, they're already risking World War Three with everything they've been doing. So, of course, uh, you know, if these people are the ones making the decision, this decisions because because uh, Biden is not really all there and he's not really the person making decisions. This administration represents an existential threat because these people, first of all, they've got cover because Biden is the one who's out front so they can operate behind the scenes without any accountability and they can make the decisions. And they know that the Democrats, uh, as uh, you know, writ large as a party and uh, Biden himself are going to take the blame for that. So there's nothing that they will not try to do to save face, to, to, to push their, uh, to promote their agenda internationally. So, uh, you know, Kim Iverson said she's going to actually vote for Trump. I mean, I, I cannot, I, I, look, I, I grew up in New York. I hate Trump. Uh, Trump is a bigoted, you know, arrogant, you know what he is. Everybody knows what he is, but, but it, the New Yorkers hate Trump. So I'm sitting here thinking we got to get these people out of power. They're crazy. They, they, they truly are. And I, I don't really believe, you know, I heard um, uh, Morning Joe was making some sort of like overtures toward diplomacy with China just recently. It's like, well, because they're scared, I believe. They're, they're trying to walk back some of their, um, you know, brinksmanship and craziness. Yeah. I don't believe that those people really have control in terms of policy making in, in Washington and in this, in, in this administration. I think it's still like, I mean, they want to save face, but that's where this gets really dangerous because uh, they're already unhinged and they're in control. So I just want to say that, look, this has got to be the United States and it's got to be them giving Zelensky the green light to do something stupid like that. But it really represents, you know, that we are in a really bad place because these people have control of the government. So it's like we're kind of glossing it over and laughing at it because of the amateurishness of it. But it really kind of it, it really illustrates that we are in a bad, bad place right now because the president is really not in control. And the people who are are the same unhinged lunatics that they were all through the Bush administration and when Obama just didn't go after them because he wanted to look forward and not back and, and laughed about, well, I don't know if he was laughing, but he did mention, yeah, we tortured some folks. He was minimizing it and protecting those people. Those people yeah. are lunatics. And we have to get, we have to really accept the fact that these people represent an existential threat to us in our own government. Yeah. I just don't, I, I don't trust our government. No, I don't trust them at all. Tr- look what they've been doing. They've been doing crazy things. 
they have they're come, they're come, they've come so close to actually calling the rest of the world to say, you know what, screw this, we don't want anything to do with you. The petrodollar is dead. I mean, we're going to be taking wheelbarrows full of twenty-dollar bills to the grocery store to buy a loaf of bread soon because of the. I mean, everything that the Democrats said we have to be afraid of uh, with Trump, they have done. Lack of credibility worldwide, check. Uh, economy collapsing, check. World War Three and war, you know, warmongering all over the world, check, check, check. I mean, this is crazy. <laughs> it's crazy. So it's and now the, so they basically projected everything that they were going to that they all of our fears about Trump they projected onto uh, all of our fear all of our fears about Trump that they were projecting onto him. They are the ones. <laughs> that have been doing this and it's not even four years totally since since they got into power and we're really in a bad place we got to get rid of we got to get these people out of power it's that simple i totally hear you man i totally hear you like they're they're not that much better that's what i keep telling people. no they're not they're actually worse i mean because trump was actually talking about democrats are so much better and i'm like they're not no they're not (laughs) they're they're the uh (laughs) They're the wolf in sheep's clothing is what they are. And they, they get your, your guard down, and then they pounce and rip your throat out. That's what they're doing. <laughs> I mean, metaphorically speaking, they're worse than the Republicans. At least you can see them coming. And I think that the Republican establishment's problems with Trump were around him not, you know, uh, the things that he was doing in terms of diplomacy, they weren't for that. They didn't want any of that stuff. Uh, yeah. you know, basically, trade and diplomacy, trade and diplomacy, rather than brinksmanship and con- confronting China and Russia, were the reasons why the establishment, like people like Lindsey Graham, who's a straight-up neocon himself, that's the establishment of the, of the Republican Party too. Yeah, it goes both ways. And I was just thinking about something too. Like, honestly, I honestly feel like. I didn't want to say this before you guys, before I saw the poll results, because I don't want to influence like your decision. But mm-hmm. I kind of felt like the U.S. did this too. <laughs> oh, no question about it. No, no question in my mind. Like I said, Zelensky does not look. He is so afraid right now. He knows he's losing. He's so afraid of being cooed. He's so he's afraid of the Azov Battalion and the, the right sector and all those people in his own military. They have him intimidated. He knows that with a phone call, he's out of power and he could end up dead. So he's not going to do anything that the United States doesn't want him to do at this point. So the idea that he go. just went off and went rogue and did this stupid thing or that Russia staged it. Now, that's that's straight up propaganda that you're going to get from the State Department. Oh, like, oh, they blew up their own pipeline. That's just complete nonsense. <laughs> that's not what happened. It's like, but it is a warning. It's a warning to, 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 to Putin that we can get yeah. to you if we want to. Fiorella hit it right on the nerve. She was like, people actually will sit here and believe that they blew up their own facility. <laughs> it's crazy. It's nuts. When they can flip a switch, why would they blow up their pipeline? That's a revenue, that's a revenue stream for them. Uh, exactly. Remember, that was actually Germany's pipeline. Yes, exactly. They had an agreement with Germany. Uh, Biden came out and said, no, we have ways of getting rid of their pipeline. 
<laughs> and people still believe. Well, they said in the New York Post and the Washington Post, they said that. Well, come on, people. I can, well, I so, can't even believe people still with all the RussiaGate nonsense and Russia, 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 and they're gonna, you know, blow up our. Uh, what, what was it? Rachel Maddow said they're gonna hack our power grid and and we're all gonna freeze to death. <laughs> How many lies? The the uh, the the, the uh, bounties on soldiers. How many of these have to be debunked before people realize that they're being lied? to by their own government so we can't take anything that they say at face value especially with regard to russia i mean it's listen, like listen let, let me let me tell you guys something that's that's really hilarious to me it's just that nobody will like push back or challenge these these talking points Nobody's nobody will push it. back and no, it's tucker, just, tucker carlson as bad as he is, the white supremacist lunatic Tucker Carlson, elitist his whole career since he was on McLaughlin Group with his little bow tie and then on Crossfire and, and John Stewart dressed him down. He He's the guy, he's the one guy in all of corporate media who can come out and say or express any kind of uh, skepticism about our foreign policy i mean we're in bad shape man i'm telling you i'm i'm just gonna tell you guys after the war in iraq i question anything that deals with war and our government i question all of it after the war in iraq because That's they really thing. told a bold-faced lie to the american people oh. now years later they came back and admitted they were wrong that they yeah, were incorrect That's but that shit too. was that shit was years later that's a cover story too. Oh, we made a mistake. Oh no, you didn't. Because we had Scott Ritter, we had Hans Blix, we had the, everybody saying they don't have WMDs. People what? seem to forget we had millions of people. Now you know how apathetic and uh, you know self-absorbed and Americans are. Not just internationally, millions of people hit the streets. There was demonstrations all over the United States. Do not invade Iraq. And Bush called it a focus group. So it wasn't like there was nobody out there with a counter narrative uh, to, you know, uh, uh, Colin Powell with his white little vial of uh, baby powder. Uh, everybody knew that this was the theatrics and nonsense because they were not the ones behind 9-11. <laughs> I mean, he was a secular nationalist, Saddam. He didn't like those religious fundamentalists. He was at, he was at odds with those people. So there's no way... There was no reason for us to do what we what what we did. Everybody knew it. I mean, it wasn't like a big. So them coming out right now, well, we made a mistake. We really thought it. You know, Tenet said it was a slam dunk. Give me a break. I mean, so, yeah, he was telling them what they wanted. What he he was telling Bush what he knew Bush wanted to hear, because they already had their preconceived idea of what they should be doing. They wanted to invade well, from the very beginning before they even got into the White House. The neocons wanted to do that do that well let's let w. Um, bush let's let roger respond and then i'm gonna go back to Rui because uh Rui's still there in the queue and then i'm gonna tell you guys what i think about the whole bush thing so go ahead roger so one you have to admit that if a good we need a good comedy sitcom writer because <laughs> the whole presidency of biden would make is so much fodder for a good you know, hey, you know, I don't know, call it a, hey, where's the president? You know what I mean? <laughs> and you see him like shuffling around, kind of like, um, remember that 
guy, the, the police commissioner from um, Police Academy. He was kind of like kind of absent minded and was just like, oh, yeah, you know, whatever the case is. Um, two. Do you know how many people still don't know about the DNC fraud lawsuit? I mean, I talk to people Most to this people. very day and they're like, huh, what? I didn't know that. You know what I mean? So that's what I tell them when, when they start talking about that Democrat primary nonsense. Number two, three, um, you got to remember, like when people say, okay, I think, you know, 9-11 was, was staged or it was conspiracy theory or whatever that. I say the same thing, but I don't say for the same reasons that they say it. I say it because everybody forgets about the August 6, 2001 presidential daily briefing that mm-hmm. Bush got that said, hey, you know that um, bin Laden, I was going to say Saddam Hussein, but uh, bin Laden is getting ready to fly planes into the World Trade Center, right? Mm-hmm. And he said, okay, uh, check this, check out this round of golf. <laughs> you know, like you did your job. Watch this there. drive. <laughs> Right. Yeah. Watch this drive or whatever the case is. So that's how I see it as a conspiracy theory. Like, oh, okay. so you wanted it to happen then. I mean, if someone's, you know, like you supposed I mean, aren't you supposed to take that seriously? If you're a president and someone says, hey, you know, this person's going to fly planes into the biggest buildings in the country. You Mm -hmm. know what I mean? I think you do something about it. But he did not. So that's how I say it was designed. Not, you know. All the other stuff that came afterwards. Well, it said. Anyway, what do they say in the? Uh, there was that PNAC document that said, absent a cat- catastrophic catalyzing event, basically we, we you know, the American people are not going to accept our foreign policy agenda. And then, oh wow! Right after they get into power, we have that catastrophic catalyzing event. I, I, I mean, I, I'm not a conspiracy theorist, but I am also not a coincidence theorist. I don't believe that that was a coincidence. I think that uh, that some shady things that happened. And if you, any you, any anybody who looks at the evidence knows that that, that some, you know, come on, that 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 9/11 thing. No, <laughs> this is too much. Too many weird things that happened on that day for it to have been, uh, you know, you know. Uh, and, it's, and so we ended up with the um, existential threat of terrorism, but all these presidents that we've had, like Reagan was out to lunch. Um, you know, like Savvy said before, we've had this happen before. We've had, you know, uh, we've had presidents who were not all there. FDR had issues. Wilson had issues. Um, we've had presidents where other people were in charge and we kind of knew it as a country. But you, if you look back to Reagan even, Reagan was not there. We had a lot of the people who became the neocons controlling things behind him. And of course, H.W. Bush was the quintessential insider. And then you had Clinton and then you had Bush, who was not really, you know, he was he was uh, there's something wrong with that human being. Um, seriously, like I'm, I'm going to get into, I'm gonna get into <laughs> Bush in just a second. But let me let let me go back to Rui. And then I'll pick up you, Case. Go ahead, Rui. You just got to uh, unmute there. There you go. Um, yeah, so if I could take it back to you and, uh, you know, uh, Bree and, yeah, um, you know, even the guy from the UK, the, UK, the, the comedian Russell Brand. Um, I'm thinking just a coalition of you guys, unless you think maybe you guys have sort of parallel audiences and 
ultimately it's not big enough but i think you know um and then between i mean add add matt taibi at add uh aaron it would be nice if you guys could somehow sneak in there claire daily and some you know make it international a little, a little bit because so for me these guys can't win it right i agree with noel what they got to do is they got to run a campaign they sort of just breaks the doors open for whoever's next or whatever movement is next um if they play safe it's not going to catch fire we none of us are going to move unless they are basically you know denouncing joe biden their best friends and all of that shit that's not going to work right so it's it it has to catch fire right otherwise there's no point right um and so if they are if they're trying to win uh, that's sort of just delusional right i think what you try to do is just try to light enough enough fire under people's like asses and just you know there's no ceiling to this thing it could, and then there's a, there's a lot of potential but you know this is we're basically asleep a, a lot of us is the sleeping beast this is what, what do they call it the moral majority yeah um the silent majority that. The silent majority, but we don't touch children. Um, <laughs> I think that um, that's really interesting. I don't know if it would be fair for me to be a part of it, just because I don't I don't believe in this process. So it's like it probably wouldn't be best for me to, or maybe it, it would be best for me to do it because I don't I don't believe in the process. I'll just be like just asking questions. But you're right. It needs to be. I think a panel of, of people. I think Russell Brand and, and Bree, I think they would be great. I don't have access to Russell Brand. I've never met him. Um, and I have, I couldn't find contact information for him either. Some people are almost impossible to find contact information for. Um, but yeah, I could see that being really big. Like, you know, if they all came together and, and did that. Um, Yo, I mean, you got to, you got to project you got to think into the future savvy you're you're pretty close right here you got to jump a little bit you know and ultimately sometimes there's also like we we got to think that somebody one of these larger platforms right oftentimes they they sort of are a bit ungrounded you know and so you come from a a perspective that's interesting also you got noel by you right so normally i'm i'm cheering for the guys too because nobody ever cheers for the guys whenever they're talking about people dying at wars it's the children it's the women right so i'm normally with the guys too but you know if you got to if you organize a coalition like this and i'm you don't have to organize a whole but again i think the bigger the merrier and when we have such a big group you got to maybe bring one extra and you got to take noel you know if there's maybe another extra then you can take one of the one of the guys um and yeah you guys would be a fantastic team um but you know if this there's there's no way this thing sort of lifts up i i really feel if there isn't sort of a ground movement right and if it does it's just going to without a ground movement it's just going to inflate or rather deflate just like bernie sanders just like you know the um black lives matter who was it they just said that you know when we saw it you know rise exponentially and you know so fast without any you know media criticism you know we should have suspected something so i think you know learning from that 
think yeah something but this is uh but the marians and them they have to i suppose accept right and that's that's the challenge if these guys are already coming out here saying we're best we're friends we've been friends for a long time and by the way i just found out that the cia was the one that assassinated my father like there's no implications to these people um, we americans suffer from like not being able to like make you know connections with history right um i just found out that my father's been assassinated by the cia let me look around to see who's connected this to the cia and how the fuck do you miss joe biden right in that and then how does he remain your best friend sorry i just kicked the soccer ball but um really yeah you you yeah how do you miss people in your own family right right <laughs> bringing point. the cia to your own family yeah yeah that's those, those are all good points i mean you can't help like in reference to your family members like you can't help the job that they have but i wouldn't have made I wouldn't have made them a part of my campaign if they hadn't worked for the CIA. I just, I couldn't have done that. Um, go ahead, Ken. I'm optimistic. I was going to talk about something else. But my take on the screen in the CIA and your family is have your friends close to your enemies close to you. You know, what if she's a mole in there to try to help her out? I don't know. I'm just throwing that out there. You know, it could be very much that she's uh, um, against them, but I, I see that the other side could possibly be true. But um, I want, first thing I want to say to Roger, when you talked about people don't even know about um, uh, the DNC lawsuit, people don't even know that Robert Kennedy Jr. is running. People don't even know Marianne Williamson is challenging um, Joe Biden. You know what I'm saying? So that's how, unfortunately, uninformed our citizenry is. And um, the last thing I want to say right now is I want to throw this campaign at you. I was thinking about this idea. So, you know, the Working Families Party and Shamash One helped put Fight for 15 on the map. They're up to Fight for 25, which is awesome. But what about a maximum wage, right? So I'm like, okay, the, there should be a maximum wage. The question is what we think it should be. So I'm going to go with, you know, the average NBA player, let's say he's making like 20, 30, 40. All right, let's 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 say I'm going to go on a limb and I'm going to say 50 million a year, right? I know there might be people that disagree. I think 20, 10 a million a year is fine, but there's enough people that's brainwashing the citizenry to say, oh, you should become a, be able to become a billionaire. So my compromise, let's just say 50 million a year. So this is the campaign. Fight for 25 and then max 25,000 an hour. Now I did the calculation, 50 million a year is more like $24,038 an hour. But just to keep it simple and keep the strategy of 25, 25, five 25, max 25,000 an hour. Now the absurdity of someone saying, you, you should be able to get more than 25,000 an hour I think will shine through more than if we say, oh, we want a maximum of 50 million. You know, I think it's more glaring when you say 25,000 an hour is not enough. I need more than 25,000 an hour. Okay, I'm going to give the mic back. What you all think? That's a really good point, Case. And also, that could be one of the ways to get rid of billionaires. If you have a maximum wage, I didn't think about that, but if you have a maximum wage, then that solves your problem there of preventing more people from becoming billionaires. 
We don't need we don't need any more billionaires in this in the in the world. We really don't. The last thing I was gonna say because we know the um they're the wet wag the writers strike they're striking right now, right? And they said that with a Warner CEO is making two hundred and fifty million a year, right? Mm-hmm. So they, the fifty mil, million a, um a year was implemented a max of fifty million. He wouldn't even be fighting on this strike. They wouldn't have to strike because he would automatically say, you know what? All right, this 200 million that I was going to keep, I'm going to give it to you guys. Boom. And you know what else too, Case? It would have been really nice to see like those writers that are on strike get behind the railroad workers when they were trying to go on strike. We need to see more solidarity in reference to, you know, unions like going on strike in this country because that's the thing. Like, that's what you're seeing in Europe. You're seeing them do that in the UK. They do this in France, obviously. Like, they're collaborating across unions. The teachers union in LA did that with the um, the cafeteria workers. They said, we're not going to go to school and we're not going to teach if this union doesn't get their contract. And they all striked. And that was powerful because it was resolved sooner than i'm sure a lot sooner than if it was just the cafeteria workers by themselves striking yeah and there you go and i've never seen like at least you know in my lifetime i've never seen this many strikes happen like there's been so many like this year last year like more and more people going on strike and we need to continue to see this we need to show them that you know we're the labor and without us like you really just you don't exist you cease to exist yeah, there's things that you can do here and there with AI, but there's still things, there's still certain jobs that you need people to do. And that's that's the thing. So I would like to see more solidarity across unions in reference to these strikes, you know? I will say, I'm gonna talk about the writer's strike a little bit tomorrow because um, there is this perception that if you work in Hollywood, you're making a lot of money. That's not necessarily true. Because last year, it was either last year or the year before I covered, there was another, um, the production, the production crew in Hollywood, they were trying to go on strike. Do you remember that case? Yeah, the production crew a while back, they were trying to, yeah. I think I remember that. And they were talking about how they were working long hours and not making enough to pay their rent. Like people think that because these people work on movie sets, they're making a lot of money. That's actually not true. Mm-hmm. Especially with streaming and the technology, um, the changes with technology, there they don't automatically. Uh, you can't rely on the benevolence of the executive um, directors or the CEOs to say, "Hey, you know what? We're making a lot more money. We're just going to automatically, you know, change over the way we would give you money for cable. We're going to apply that to streaming." No, you have to actually fight for that. And, you know, yep. um, it's pretty sad that we have to do that. Uh, the last thing I want to defend what I said at the beginning about RFK spy thing. I did an uh, interview with a guy who I talked about something that was very interesting called Salton. He Union Salton or Salton Union. And it was literally the reverse of the CIA infiltrating the civil rights organization. It was um, the union. A union hired him to infiltrate a company so that he can find out the lay of the land, find out who are the leaders within the workforce um, uh, uh, what you call it? Recruit them, and then go from there. Try to create a union. And the reason why, so I'm, I'm thinking, what if 
a long time ago, we, you know, Bobby knows, I think pe- people mainly knew a while ago, you know, maybe a year or two after Bobby, um, John F. Kennedy died and et cetera, they knew who he was. So what if Bobby was like, you know what, I'm going to do a long-term project to try to sneak somebody into the CIA. You know, that's the, this is my wildest dream. This sounds like a movie. I would love to, you know, somebody to write that movie, but I, that's why I'm like, Hey, you never know why she's there or what she's doing. That's all I'm saying. Mm-hmm. All right. That's a good point. I didn't think about that case. All right, Rui, I'm going to go back to you and see if you have anything else. And if not, I'll go ahead and bring in Frank. Awesome. Um, yeah. So have I convinced you yet? No. <laughs> oh, All right. Um, um, I think it, I think Kim is right when she says it needs to be on a large. So, like, for example, did you guys know that Rumble just got the rights to air the Republican debate? Did you guys know that? No, no, I did not know that. But yeah, why not work left- with them? You know, but because we do need people to, um, you know, ask tough questions, right? So um, if YouTube holds it, but it's Rachel Maddow or, you know, uh, and Andrea Mitchell, <laughs> Don Lamont, <laughs> um, it's, no, it's, it's no good, right? So um, yes, we do need, uh, you know, it, it would be nice if YouTube and one of these, but again, there's a, the risk is that it becomes a bit toxic, right? Uh, Elon did the whole Twitter thing, revelation, but at this point he decided that's enough, you know, so let's put everything back, right? So um, how far are are we able to take it, you know, with these people? Versus, again, if there is, and I don't know how many debates you guys want to hold or can hold, but then it would be really interesting if we could get you know the responsible i suppose media you know the adults in the room i suppose right amongst these um propagandists right um and you know uh, it could be i think it could be creative especially if we were to try to like you know how they had that um that that woman from um one of the american colonies well we don't call it colonies we call it territories the one that um threatened um the journalist matt taibbi you know how yeah. they had her, right? I mean, I think inviting um, journalists or even politicians that we know have like, you know, personalities like Claire Daly's and stuff like that into something like that because ultimate because I think you know the idea is that we get international, right? That we work across board and stuff. And you know who better to ask about you know how we deal with Iraq than somebody who threw a shoe at uh, George Bush? You know, I, I just think it just works out really well. Um, so, I don't know. It'd be really cool if we could get, like, if, you know, you journalists got together. Because journalism is also dead, right? And so this, I suppose, you know, hopefully it doesn't make people believe that the propagandists, you know, are good. But, like, that people do, don't get super cynical because it's kind of hard to work within, you know, that toxic of of a space and then but of course that's what these uh, the psychopaths want right that we sort of question everything and don't believe in anything um. yeah no I, I i hear you all good points all good points all uh, right i'm gonna go ahead and bring in frank thank you so much Rui. i appreciate you guys um roger tell us about haiti a little bit more because i see that it's uh, no, no, up over there as well 
um, uh, democracy? I, I, well, you'd have to ask, I guess, Ashura about that. I'm, I'm not Haitian, but that's cool. Oh, yeah. He might have mixed you up with Ashura. What's going on, Frank? Hello. Hi, Sammy. Um, I, I was just uh, uh, making an update on that uh, um, blocks on social media bill that the, has went through the House uh, last week and finished up on Monday and has now gone through the Senate already. They're, they have a big rush on it. And uh, they even had a special, I said special, in quotes, second second reading. Um, on, that was on uh, Wednesday. You're talking about in Colorado, right? Yes, it was. It's the first of its kind in the country. Um, so it's there in it in um, in the House. It, it, it uh, the committee passed it eleven to zero, and and on the floor uh, it was forty three to twenty, which was pretty close to around just down party lines where Democrats voted for it and Republicans voted against it, except for the the spot prime sponsor of the bill who happened to be a Republican. All the rest of the Republicans, I think, voted against it. And in the, I don't know on the floor of the Senate, I know it passed. Um, I don't know the, the votes total, um, but it passed out of the committee um, yesterday and then they made a special second reading to the floor. Um, right after that, it passed four, passed four to nothing out of that Senate committee. And um, so it looks like Colorado is going to have the first ever blocks, blocks on social media for any reason. Um, bully, new, new definitions of bullying just for this. New definitions of harassment just for this. Um, new definitions of intimidation. And it, all of them boil down to any, any injury of emotional distress. So if, if you just say... That one made me feel bad. Block. <laughs> Delete. That's crazy. It is crazy. Even the, the ACLU um, actually went to the, um, well, the an attorney from the ACLU was actually going to the, um, the hearing, couldn't make it in time, so she called in from her car. And it was funny, the other prime sponsor, Leslie Herod, um, uh, who's a Democrat, actually chided the ACLU saying, you didn't tell us you were going to come to this <laughs> because the, it, it, it's just coding for um, ACLU, you are under Blue Mafia's thumb and you do as we tell you to do and you're making us look bad because we are bad. <laughs> so, so look for the, you know, we, we've talked about before how Colorado is used as, as a guinea pig for laws and then spread to other places and this and for both good and bad and they th this is what they're doing here they're doing an experiment here and um there's two case laws of of uh of two former senators that were sued over blocking people on social media so the courts have disagreed with what they're doing um and i know of other cases too of um of uh uh, both it's federal crazy, and, and crazy local. times we're living in right now. It's just ridiculous. Yeah. It, it also says how scared they are, and and they're 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 scared, and they know they're doing wrong, and people are calling them out, and they don't want to hear it, and they just want to 
They just want their little bubble and they want their, their little shit lips bubble and they don't want them to ever understand what's going on in, in reality. They just want their little bubble. <laughs> it's I, I totally hear you on that. I'll go ahead, uh, Roger, and then I want to bring in Noel as well. It's time for that veto referendum in Colorado. Yeah. <laughs> right, this a, is crazy. right a ballot initiative. Right a ballot well, initiative. Well, referendum an initiative is to pass something a yeah. veto referendum is to repeal it uh-huh okay so if if the if if the voters or the state passes a law that, that the voters don't like or the voters passed a law that they changed their minds on they could do a veto referendum to repeal I will. I will be looking into that. If it's if it, I don't think all bills are like that. It could be true. But no, I, no, no. I'll send you the information. You, you could you okay. could repeal all bills. Yeah. Okay. I mean, repeal Good. all laws. It has to be a law first before you do a veto referendum. Yes, and how that works is that uh, if someone within the first phase of that of uh, of the end of the session, which is coming up very shortly. Um, states that this this is unconstitutional or is that they they are against it in any way um and they that just just by doing that it can be demanded that it goes to the voters um uh, in order to uh, vote for the bill or take down the bill so yeah i'm i'm very aware of that and i want to look into it a little further because I think a lot of people, a lot of lawyers should be writing like, this but, is really bad. But you, but you know what, though? As as when you think about it, because Arkansas did something like that with some book banning or whatever the case is, and they're taking it to court. I'm just uh -huh. saying you can save, instead of using the time, money, and energy toward lawyers for taking it to court, you can yeah. put that time, money, and energy just to be like, we're not going to bother with the courts. We're just going to repeal this thing. Veto referendum. Yeah. yeah. How would it, someone would have to write that, uh, ask for the repeal, and then the next November it goes on the ballot. Yeah. For, yeah. So, and it may be the well, only issue ballot. Well, here's my thing. I know some of you listening may be like, okay, that's happening in Colorado, but you have to understand, to Frank's point, Colorado typically is like the test state where legalizing marijuana let's try it out in colorado and see how it works yeah. ubi let's try it out in denver and see how it works so the fact that they're trying to implement laws against social media in colorado that should be still concerning to you because things tend to start there and spread elsewhere yep well actually um Kathy Hoke, uh, Governor Hochul, he had passed a law like that, like last year, that has something to do with, she called it some disinformation thing or something like that. So it, it already passed here, but I don't know the extent of how it's being implemented. Mm -hmm. but, um, but I just want to, um, just going back to what Case was saying before, spe speaking of New York, because he was talking about minimums and maximum wages. Um, just to let you know, like he was talking about like $25 an hour or whatever. So the, 
the um state the uh, uh uh so yeah i already told you the story about how we're for the fourth or fifth year we're number one in income equality and then the then the state legislature raised their pay from $110,000 to $142,000, which I think takes place this year, right? And then the Senate Labor Chair, uh, Jessica Ramos, says, hey, I'm going to do a $21.25 minimum wage. And I'm yelling at her on Twitter saying that's barely $45,000 a year from New York State. That's not nothing. And then the governor is like, well, I want to do $17 an hour. And then after the budget that finally passed, they got the minimum wage down to $16 an hour to take place in, I don't know, a few years. So if you're going to do like a minimum wage, first of all, that tells you you got to go higher than what you want to get talked down. Um, and I would say start at 30, just like federal minimum wage, $35 an hour because like, Twenty five dollars is is you know I, mean, I don't know I guess it's good for Alabama but if you if you want to talk federal I was you know freaking go to forty so then they could talk you down to like thirty five or thirty but you know I was so just saying I'm just gonna, I'm just, oh go ahead Roger sorry saying I was so I was because Case asked what do you think of that so I was just getting around to answer his question that's well when you put it that way I think that that piece is really important for people to hear. It's only $45,000 a year because that in New York, that's nothing. That's nothing here in Massachusetts either. Like $45,000 a year, especially if you're in Eastern Massachusetts, which is where I am. If you're in the Boston area, that's nothing here. That's nothing. So I like the way you put it that way, Roger, instead of people just saying, oh, yay, let's fight for $15 an hour. Um, Yeah. So that's actually this amount of money per year. Yeah, exactly. And then I think it really resonates with people more. Exactly. And that $21.25 that uh, Senator Ramos was proposing was almost made it to $45,000 a year. And the governor said, no, we're going to do 17. And then they called a compromise of 16. <laughs> I was just like, uh, a compromise would be meeting in the middle. But we need to be a balanced issue. Mm -hmm. No, that's 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 true. You know what I think is going to happen? I think eventually it's going to get to a point where we don't have a minimum wage. I think it's going to get to a point where they're, they're going to start calling it something else. Well, the, I think eventually them. What, what was that? Well, the thing is, you wouldn't need that if we were all worker cooperatives. You see what I'm saying? If we were all worker cooperatives, then it wouldn't be like because the minimum wage comes about because we say, hey, boss. You got to at least pay your people this much. But if if you got a bunch of worker cooperatives, the workers are the bosses. You feel what I'm saying? Okay, and, yeah, that's a good point. And if you want to make sure that if you want to delineate, let's say, for instance, they always hide behind small businesses or what a small business is going to do. If you want to delineate whether a small business person is an exploiter, or should I say, wants to be wants an exploiter. And and just and would like to pay more, but they can't say this. Okay, what okay, about what if about we gave a tax subsidy of uh, uh, eighty-five to a hundred percent to cover your labor costs if we raise the minimum wage to fifty-three dollars an hour? Okay, so we're covering your labor costs 
for 85 to 100 percent of your labor costs. Okay. Now, if you fight against that, then that tells me you want to be an exploiter. That's all. I think that the future is going to be a uh, universal basic income, minimum wage or living wage, not even, let's not call it minimum wage. And that hopefully that's going to be future, especially with AI coming and robots and um, Boston. You know, I blame you, Sabrina, for these Boston boys coming up with all these machines that look like the future Terminator. <laughs> but I think that's the future. And and I was thinking a little further into a, a potential utopian world, right? A, if we didn't have a neoliberal capitalist system, we would not be scared of AI. We would not be scared of these robots unless they pull a Star Wars Execution 66 and, you know, stealthily kill everybody once we make what I think we should have a robot uh, or universal right to a robot in the future. But I hope they don't do Execution 66 if everybody get their own robot. And this is where I'm going with this. Every Their own robot could be the person that picks their food. It could be the person that educates them. It could be the person because this is where AI is going, right? Uh, it could literally be a, a, a human looking type of person, but they're just a robot that helps them with uh, it could be their doctor. So there you go with universal basic income. Everyone gets their own robot that provides health care for them. It could be their dentist. Be, oh, this is where I'm thinking 30, 50 years from now, especially with the recent AI technology just advancing so quickly. But. Because we live in a neoliberal capitalist world, the way it's going is there was a, a McDonald's that says they're 100% robot. Okay, if that's the case, the burger should be 10 cents. The fries should be 5 cents because there's no labor cost there. You have to pay for the potatoes. You have to pay for the meat, etc. But because we live in this neoliberal capitalist system, they're still going to have a burger $6.00 fries the dollar fries or whatever and they still going to exploit us until we are all in poverty so 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 let me ask you this who does the ai work for we would need to have an open source ai where we can have all no no okay let me frame it what who does what class does the ai serve the capitalist tool of Oh, currently, yeah, currently. Right, right. Okay, so with that said, with that said, right, they're going to use that to replace labor. Oh, The best way way to combat against that is worker cooperatives because the thing is you get get to decide in a democratic vote whether or not you're going to uh, 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 bring in automation to replace your job without at least maybe creating a new position for the human being to take. You see what I'm saying? So you have to take a look at, they serve the capitalist class, the boss class, right? But if you have, if we, if we start revoking corporate charters and we start having worker cooperatives proliferate across the country, this whole AI thing, I think if not dead, then it would at least be slowed down. You feel what I'm you're, saying? You're because saying you're you don't want AI. Is that what you're saying? I don't want AI. No, I, I if, 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 it's exactly. one thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it's, it's one thing. Okay, but we if already you, have. I just want to chime in for just a second. We already have AI. Yeah, no. But he he was asking. 
he was saying, I don't want AI, which is, you know, yeah, no, the point I'm going with that, because I hear you and Noel saying it's serving the capitalists right now. My point is, let's say let's go down my fantasy world. Right. We create a cooperative, a workers cooperative that specializes in creating AI robots and they create these robots um, to create housing, to build houses. And we give as cooperatives, we give away those houses to the workers. So anytime that you want a house, you hire a worker and say, OK. You're assigned this robot, this robot, these 10 robots are going to build your house. And then, um, but it, it would have to work outside the capitalist system. So it, it's a lot of nuance, but the, the main point I'm trying to make is you can be scared of the AI, meaning it's going to come take your jobs, or we can go in a different direction where AI works for socialists and use the AI to, to form, to create food, to build housing, and have it for everybody with no cost. However, I would much rather that worker cooperative form a supply chain with another worker cooperative that's going to pick the food and build the construction, you know what I mean? And, and work with another cooperative to actually provide, make the raw material that the construction people would use in establishing multiple cooperative supply chains, not like a worker cooperative that's in an island of itself, but part let, of multiple supplies. Let me be the one to say, whoa. <laughs> I think we, even in future considerations, we need to be able to establish that we do not have the framework in terms of, of a governance system that cares, that is, you know, we do a lot of talking on these things about the working and the minimum wage, but we have a problem with homelessness and poverty. And all of this is a part of this capitalist ideology. And that is a big, big construct because like I keep saying, this is a plantation nation. And if you look at the trajectory of our history, we're going back to the future in terms of a plantation in a more real sense and you know they have already you know destroyed the union labor movement this country used to have much more unionized workers than it does now and even the ones who attempt to try and form unions these days it's a big pushback and a struggle and so I say for all that we can visualize to make life better for everybody there are real forces at work working to counterman and contradict any of this. We've already discussed that we have basically lost the media as a partner in this governance construct. We talk about, you know, just going back to what Ruiz was saying in terms of a debate, you know, we're in. First of all, I wanted to say in response to his proposal, if the Democratic Party is short circuiting the debate process, I would think if you're a serious candidate, it is on Marianne Williamson and Robert F. Kennedy Jr. to start approaching a way to get heard. So I would think they would be approaching people in social media to collaborate on hosting some type of debate or forum so that they can be heard. You know, if you are serious and the establishment is not making the um, 
regular media outlets available or they are too in alignment with the establishment parties and this and that and you can't get your message out, I would think it would be incumbent upon you as a candidate to say, well, you know, we got to be heard. Let's reach out to independent media and, you know, go in that direction because they're the ones who benefit by getting their message out. And that's a independent media, you know, is a certain constituency that I would think they would be interested in reaching and approaching from that posture instead of, you know, independent media having to reach out to them. But that's so just think, another thing. So, Noel, you think it's it's actually on the candidates to to try to make this happen, these debates happen? Yeah. If you're a candidate and you know under the ordinary circumstances, the Democratic Party would have, you know, would sponsor debates for the candidates. But now, because they have such an allegiance to the incumbent, they're saying, well, we're not going to have any debates. It would be on you as a candidate to say, oh, hell no, I need to get my message out. And if it's just you and Marianne on the outside, I would think you would at least say, listen, we need to be heard. Let's get together and approach some of these outlets and see if we can't, because otherwise our message in terms of the way we want it put out is not going to be heard. At some point, he should be tired of being introduced as the anti-vax candidate, and she should be tired of being introduced as the, the crystal candidate or the Oprah um, therapist or whatever she was that they call her. You should get sick of being marginalized through the regular media, and you should be trying to create alternative ways to get your messaging out to people. But again, I say all of that to say this system is so twisted and upside down that, you know, any of the basic things we think about to make life better, they're already forces that are fortified and organized and you might not even know they exist until you move to threaten what they got is going on as a gravy train. Then they're going to materialize and you're going to be like, well, where did these people come from? Where, where did this come from? This system, you know, we're 400 some years in and we keep going in reverse. And that's not by happenstance or coincidence. So these people are not going to just allow that we've seen, we've had a decade where the president and his brother threatened the status quo and they were eliminated. Martin Luther King was eliminated. I mean, and these things mm -hmm. were not just, oh, everyday random people. We have enough history behind us to see that that was done with some level of orchestration from the inside. It was deliberate. And it's because they were really threatening the order. And, you know, and maybe that's why you know, RFK is trying to do something, you know, tipping through because this man is not naive. But I'm saying I just don't see how anybody shakes up this system from the inside. I just don't see it. That's that's a really good point, Noel. Um, that was something I really haven't thought about. But like. You're right. It's almost like other people want them to fight to demand to have a debate more than they do. And it's almost like they should actually be pursuing that instead of like other people. Yeah. 
I will say this. I, every so often I search in YouTube RFK, Robert Kennedy Jr., and um, Marianne Williamson to see what podcast they go on. So, for example, I think it was yesterday or two days ago I saw Robert Kennedy Jr. had another 50-minute um, – he was on a 50-minute podcast. I think it's called You Heard. U-H-E-R-D. So it seems like th- he's on the load doing that, like going to different um, podcasts. The question is, would he and Marianne come together for a formal debate? That would be very interesting and I think potentially force even mainstream media to, to pull out clips and post that because I, I think – even though I think they're still going to, you know, Bernie black them out, <laughs> like how did they did Bernie, I think um, people like Charlemagne the God calling out the Democrats and calling out, maybe potentially calling out mainstream media, that would be fruitful or valuable. I think Marianne would probably do it um, because I, I saw her um, kind of picking at him a little bit on Twitter. <laughs> so I, I think she would probably do it. I don't know about him. I know like I'm on the press, I'm on the press list for him. So when I talked to his team, like they said that, they're booking out interviews for him for the next two months. So I'm on that list somewhere. I don't know when I'll hear back, but I know I'm on the list um, to interview him at some point. But, um, but Eric, I want to bring you in about the AI thing. Cause I saw you was trying to unmute earlier. Well, in, in general, like, like AI and, and technology in general, what I always tend to say about it is that it it's, it's generally a mistake to get too caught up in the technology itself. There are, I mean, while there are certain things that, that we want to, you know, ban or, or strictly regulate, like kill, you know, autonomous killing robots are bad, you know, no matter what the technology in general, I would tend to agree with, with, with what case was saying in that it's, it's all about who controls it and who benefits from it. And so if you have, technology that's controlled by and benefits the 99%. And then we could have a really cool world. I mean, you can have some of these sci-fi fantasies of having this stuff, you know, work for better lives for everyone. But as long as we have the current state of affairs where the billionaires and, you know, in mega corporations and in the bankers and, you know, they control everything, then, it's going to be shitty. <laughs> it's going to be a, you know, just a matter of a of degree of how much of a hellscape it is. And so then, you know, that brings us to like, what's, you know, what's the core problem here. And, you know, the, the core problem is we have this, you know, top 0.1%, the billionaires and their instruments, the mega corporations, and they're calling the shots. They're using their money, their, their resources to, control the government. You know, it's really, to me, as simple as that. And I, I think it's a mistake to spend too much time talking about this candidate or that candidate. If you're not bringing it back to this core problem, you know, you have this, these economic elites, you know, the, up in the stratosphere of these billions and they're calling the shots. And so then if you, if you get to that point, then the next step then is, is what do we do about that? So we can, you know, hang around all the time and complaining about everything and leaving it at that. And it really doesn't seem like much of a left movement. And maybe that's the reason why this left movement is so small, you know, or we can reach this basic conclusion that this is the problem and start talking about real solutions for it. 
And, you know, to me, the real solutions get into cutting those puppet strings between have the mega wealthy and their, and their, um, and their servants, you know, in the government and then it organized, but what are the demands? You know, if you're going to have mm -hmm. strikes in organizations, you know, what are our demands? And I think the, the key demand in that is to, is to make political corruption, you know, toxic to make it, you know, to make this a thing, you know, we need our leaders and our government to be working for us and not for the billionaires. It's really that simple. And that's the key demand. And I, I guess I just think in our movement, our little left movement, we don't, we, we never seem to come back to that and focus on that. We need to market billionaires as modern day kings and queens, because that's exactly what they are. You know, you look at Shark Tank and you see these multimillionaires and especially Mark Cuban, a billionaire out there just looking down upon the minions and saying, if I care about this idea enough, I might give you 50K and take 40% of your company. You know, that, that, that's it's just you call the them out as the problem. Yeah. By the, well, the I was system just say, as feudalism. Um, well, I was just going to say, I was just going to say, I think that, um, when we talk about the, the billionaires and things like that, like, and we talk about like corporate money and electoral politics, one of the ways that we can fight back against that, it goes back to what Roger was saying. It's by starting worker co-ops. That's right. Organizing. Got to do it. See, how do you remove money? Because I talked to Marco about this. How do you remove corporate money from electoral politics? You do that by starting worker co-ops. The more worker co-ops you have, the less connections you have to corporate America. And yeah. the, less, the less you start to take power away from corporate America. When you take power away from corporate America, then corporate, Mer corporate America doesn't have as much money and funds to be heavily invested in electoral politics. This is the missing piece. This is the piece that really disrupts things. And that's why Professor Richard Wolf talks about worker co-ops so much. This is the piece that really takes the power away from the corporations. You have to start worker co-ops. And it's not, I don't want you to feel like it's something that's very easy to do, but it's also not something that's extremely difficult to do because Marco has been on these calls multiple times. He started a worker co-op. I know other people that have started worker co-ops like you got to take the power away from them. And you do that by starting worker co-ops. It promotes the power. The thing sharing. I worry about is, is that the, 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 the government at the federal and at the state level will, will crush that. You know, the, 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 the system right now is, is just totally, is totally stacked against that. And they and they have the money and the power and the billions, and I, I guess I, I just I just feel like we have to essentially democratize our government or you know take some steps towards fixing our government or they 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 will crush us. Well, we know no, Amazon was they, trying they to haven't, crush. Well, the government hasn't stopped worker co-ops. In fact, Richard Wolf, like he has two channels and the one democracy at work, like they give you, if you guys follow them and you follow their website, they give you step-by-step play-by-play of how to make it work. So they, they haven't crushed uh, worker co-ops. That's the thing. 
worker co-ops for a lot of people in this country are still relatively unknown. Most people you talk to, they don't even know what that is. Also, but to me, that's part of the, the problem is, 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 that is that you have so, you much, have power so much power and, and, um, and, and so much power and corruption in that, you know, it, I, I guess I just think of the, the scale of things. I mean, just, just think of the, of the scale of, of Amazon, of Wall Street, of, you know, all these mega corporations. corporations. And we're talking about starting worker co-ops to compete with them economically and, and politically. I mean, I'm, I'm all for it. I mean, right. don't, I mean, don't get me wrong, but I, I guess I just feel that if we don't take the corruption head on and really focus on it, I, I guess I just don't see how we even come close to competing with this capitalist monster. We saw what monster. Amazon did, right? We saw what Amazon did, and the National Labor Relations Board didn't really step in and help um, until it became so obvious that Amazon was cheating. But that wasn't a worker co-op. Co-op. That's true. See, that's, see true. That's, that's the thing. Like, that was just, and, and very difficult still to do, but that was, let's, let's, let's Frank, can you mute for a second? There's an echo yeah. on your end. Um, I was just, just going to say, I'll, I'll come right back. Okay. The they did the first step right which is to unionize but i always say the next step after that is to create a worker co-op mm -hmm. and you you can do both but the thing is is that in order to democratize our government the problem that you run into is that we're still we're still going to run up against the corporate power we need a mass so movement Right, but the mass sure. movement, so so here's the thing. We do need a mass movement, but we also need to take start taking power away from corporate America. And one of the ways of doing that is starting worker co-ops. That's one of the ways that you can start taking some of that power away bit by bit. And Sorry, go ahead. I hear what you're saying about like the government could come and crush that, but the government can also crush mass movements. They're already militarizing the police. That's why they're starting that's a top why. city. That, that's that's right. exactly why, because they don't want another George Floyd um, uprising. Well, and they people, see they see massive people, civil unrest possible, and and that's obviously what they're why they're training for urban pacification because they want to be able to just a, a drop of a hat go in and you know stop any kind of mass civil unrest. And and uh, as far as the AI thing, I wanted to say, they know that they plan on taking away jobs using AI mm -hmm. right now. So uh, they're anticipating because of that plan, they're anticipating that people will start to, to organize and, and they're actually preparing for violence. So of course, AI. it's not even theoretical that they're going to try to crush it. So we, we know that's already, what they're planning they are, on. They already have the machines. They do. They're, they're already, they already, because we were talking about this on RBN last year, They've already started to make like these machines for police departments. And this was after the George Floyd protest. So they were right. like a way to dismantle large crowds. These are just machines, not even police officers, but they, mm -hmm. they gave these machines to the police departments. And that's what I'm saying is like, same thing with the mass movements. They can do the same thing. They can dismantle that too. Well, I mean, I, 
I think our only chance at, at winning this thing of getting anywhere is to inspire a mass movement. And, and so the, the trick is, what do you build that around? You know, what's, what's the demand? What's the, what's the thing that you can build that around? And I, I don't think worker co-ops works for that. Right. But that's too many people are too comfortable, but what I think could work for that is the money and the corruption. You know, everybody agrees, you know, Congress is a corrupt cesspool. Everybody can see that and jump onto that. When Bernie was successful, when Bernie was drawing big crowds, it's because he was hitting that. He was saying the problem is the billionaires and the money, and we have to, you know, tax them and do something about it. And I, you know, I, I just don't see another way that, 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 that even comes close to, to getting us there than, than to, to find something that inspires people in a big way and a mass way that people rally around and build up the numbers. The problem is that we have to rally. We have to work on so many different levels at the same time. Legislatively, we got to do it on the the same problem at all the levels. Yes. No, but what I'm saying is a mass movement. So for example, what we see happening in France, right? Right. The problem that we're going to run into here and in the U.S. is that we have a militarized police force. That's That's the difference. That's what I'm trying to tell you is that, yes, we do need a a huge mass movement. When we compare like the mass movements to like the civil rights era, the police force wasn't militarized back then. They're militarized now. So, yes, we do need a mass movement. But what I'm saying is all the U.S. government has to do is say, okay, call in National Guard, call in all the police, bring in the equipment. And they could wipe us out with that. That's the thing. So you have to have more than one thing happening at the same time. That's what I'm right. saying. You can't just rely on the mass movement. You have Our to have own labor movement. history is really instructive on this score because, you know, we wouldn't have had the turn of the 20th century. We had massive riots because, you know, we have the, right. the Gilded Age. We had, uh, you know, the, the pre-Depression. We had we had lots of uh, you. Uh, you you have to have multiple things happening at once. Like you have to have the mass movement. You still need to have like you still need to pull power away from corporations, though. So you still need to. We have to find a way to detach ourselves from corporate America. And the way that you do that is by starting worker co-ops. We can't be dependent on them. So that's what I'm saying. You can have the mass movement. But a mass movement isn't going to overthrow BlackRock. You no. see what I'm saying? So, that is, so, 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 so uh, you go. I'm just saying that just starting up worker co-ops isn't going to overthrow BlackRock. I mean, no, it's not that you're looking at one thing. I, that's what I'm saying. Like you have to have multiple things at the same time. You can't just right. do one thing. So like you can't just do a mass movement. You can't just do worker co-ops, but you have to do a collection of things to really make them all fall. Because what I'm saying is, is that you have this mass movement and then Rome has talked about this multiple times. Rome will tell you it is going to be violent and Rome will tell you that some people, he said, the only way this shit goes down completely that way is it's going to be somewhat violent, which means some people are not going to make it. That's just the reality of the situation that happened with the civil rights movement. 
A lot of people don't talk about that part, but not everybody made it through the civil rights movement. Some people lost their lives. So there's that as well. But then the other thing is, then after them, all that's over, at, by all that is done at the end of the day, BlackRock is still standing because they, they're, they're like the largest corporation in the world. They own everything. So that's the thing is like, you can't just have the mass movement. You have to also find a way to take that power away from those corporations. So you have to be at a point where you don't have to rely on them in order to get income. And that's, that's going to be, you know, a tricky part. But all I'm saying is you need to do multiple things at once because when people say we need a mass movement, some people look at it as like protesting. And then there's some people like Rome will be like, no, we got to overthrow this motherfucker. Well, like, that's the only way that happens though. Yeah, mm-hmm. some people are like, no, we have to overthrow all of it. Like what you saw on January 6th, mm-hmm. that's what some people point towards. And they're like, that's what has to happen. Remember um, the uh, Zuccotti Park uh, thing with the, op- the, uh, the Wall Street against Wall Street after 2008 with the, with, when the housing um, crisis happened and everything you know fell apart in the economy and everybody got out in the street and it was spontaneous basically and it it, it uh, sparked protests all over and then you know Obama actually left the country and had that suppressed uh, this is what we're going to see we, we've seen it over time like the Seattle riots before around the around the 20 the turn of the uh of the 21st century so you know if we look back on our labor history it's people getting out into the streets spontaneously that has sparked that but we've got to work on more than one level here and get organized the zuccotti park thing did not have any kind of one leader it was just basically a real people's movement so and that was spontaneous. Why, why are people going to get out in the streets well, people are going to get out in the streets, and if you see what's happening uh, with all but the homeless, kind of... with the economy, where there's a lot of economic mm-hmm. pain, and and people are really you know struggling right now, and that usually sparks spontaneously some sort of a movement. But there has it, to be the foundation. This is kind of what what I'm getting at is that mm-hmm. a mass movement doesn't just happen. You know, it doesn't just. Well, and, yes, and what I'm see, proposing have a is that there labor, needs though. to be there needs to be some clear demands. You know, we need to demand that our representatives at all levels of government represent us and not the billionaires, not the megacorps. And it, until we we focus, I feel like on that kind of demand, we're not going to have any kind of movement. And that's really where we're at right now. Well, right now we have the legislators that are completely bought and owned by corporate interests. So, so why aren't we demanding a- that changes? You know, why aren't we saying, you know, you all need to stop being corrupt and and we're going to get together the 99% and we're going to We need to organize at a community level. For them. It's grassroots and, organizing. It always know. comes down to grassroots organizing. I mean, it's right, the but, labor. But you need the demands. Yeah. You, you need to, to be clear on, you know, what – what are we asking for? You know, what's our problem? What's so we do have, a, but we do have a clear set of demands. I mean, it's not, it's not publicized. Well, uh, I, I don't see we want demands, economic justice. You know? We want, you know, see, this is where I'm talking about things like, like clean elections. I mean, we've been like talking getting, about some of them the money out, you know, like a, a minimum wage that that's a livable wage, um, health care. We've got lots of demands. It's not like we, 
but we, right, but we, we, you don't have a movement based on saying, you know, our movement is on lots of demands. This is what I've been kind of pushing for and, and to try to say, you know, we need to have a real clear, concise set list of saying, you know, this is what we're demanding. This is what our movement is about. And I, I think the lack of that is, is part of why we're floundering. So, so let me... Um... We should probably get to our queue here, too. we got a couple of people. So, so let me say this. One, going back to, going all the way back to uh, KC. Um, I'm against AI. I'm not necessarily against automation. I think it should be regulated. And when I think of automation, I'm thinking of like WDS, WSUS. That's the IT thing, y'all. It has to do with Microsoft or whatever the case is, right? Now, only because I used to work in, in IT administration. Now, going to, um, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, Sabrina, so you said, um, yes, one way to fight against the corporations is uh, working cooperatives cooperatives in general, okay? The other way, you can, uh, I forgot the name of the, uh, I forgot the name of the act. It's like moderate MDA, something like that, right? You can um, push your state attorney generals to revoke corporate charters. Because having a corporate charter is not a right, it's a privilege. So I, I forgot the name of the, the act. I, I, I sent it to JB, he did a, he did a show on it. Um, on sun, I think it was Sunday. Um, but yeah, you push your state attorney general to start revoking corporate charters, you know, uh, judicial disillusion. You know, when these, when these corporations have a, um, uh, a record of egregious behavior towards their workers, toward the, putting the community and the environment at risk, and 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 all of that. So that's a second way. Also, you like I said, you you um, the the thing now he now here's the thing. So when we make demands, when we uh, do mass movements or any type of movement or do any type of protest or whatever the case is. The whole purpose of that is to get the politician to do what we want. I would much rather not have to depend on the politician and bypass all of that and do it ourselves through citizen ballot initiatives. So my purpose is, is to try to get, you know, well, starting with my state and as many states to be able to amend their state constitution using a citizen initiated constitutional amendment. You see what I'm saying? So this way we don't have to be like, yo, we demand this. We demand that you do this for us or whatever the case is. We do it ourselves. Okay. Now the step up, you, this, the, the goal, yes, is a mass movement, but you also have to understand in this country, when we do have mass movements, uh, we have no staying power. Not like the French do. That that mass protest is going on for I don't know how many weeks, days, weeks, or whatever it's the case couple, is. It's been a couple of months now. There you go. Now it's, it's getting bigger too. Yeah, yeah. So I think the George Floyd protest was the longest mass movement that we had, or whatever the case is. But mm-hmm. it's not just even when we get and I and you know and, and mass movements are usually organic. You know what I'm saying? They just. Boom, something happens and people had it and it just pops right. up just like the Occupy Wall Street and so on and so exactly. forth. And and but the thing is, it's staying power. You know what I mean? Like, how do you keep people demanding? 
how do you keep people protesting? You know what I mean? So that's that's what I'm saying. It's so it, you also have to resolve the problem of staying power. But in the meantime, I would much rather not have to depend on politicians if we could do it ourselves. So you have, so what you have is you have 50, you have a chain and that chain has 50 links in it called states. Okay. You build your link as strong as you can. And then you hook up with the next link and then the next link and then the next link. And then you got that chain. You feel what I'm saying? But it's not going to happen from a, a top-down thing. And if it does happen no. at the top, it's going to fizzle out. Yeah, bottom up. It has to be grassroots organizing that gets that done. Has yeah. to be. Well, the reason why, let's talk about why we don't have staying power when it comes to mass movements in this country. We don't have <laughs> they staying get crushed, power. Usually. We don't have they staying power. We don't have staying power because a lot of times it's connected to politics. A lot of times it's connected to a political party. We had a lot of people that were protesting for the George Floyd protests. What it was one of the what largest mass movements in this country. Yes. And the moment that Joe Biden won, the majority of the protesters went home. So that's that's big part of the problem. These movements cannot become co-opted by the Democratic Party or the Republican Party. We cannot have that happen. Black Lives Amen. Matter was co-opted by the Democratic Party. We can't have That's that happen. Enough. See, the civil rights movement, they knew that. And what did Cornell West tell you guys? He told you that even back during the civil rights movement, the Democratic Party tried to co-opt that. Yep. But they knew not to let that happen. So that's the thing. Like, people can't be bought off. Keep People can't be given uh, advertising uh, campaigns. People can't be bought off by corporations. And that's what happened with Black Lives Matter. They were bought off by corporations and the Democratic Party. So that's a big part of the thing. It's like you have to convince people this is not a partisan thing. It's really like, insidious a, a, what they a do. Movement, and you it's can't let these political parties come in and yep. co-opt it. And they will try to do it because they want to crush it at all costs. They use a carrot and a stick, too. What they will do is say, well, you're either going to work within the party and within the establishment. We'll tell you what you can get done. You don't understand. It's, a, it's incrementalism. We need to do it this way. This is the right way to do it. And then, But on the other hand, if you keep on getting down the street, we're going to crush you because we need to restore order. And if you do it in an orderly fashion, they pat you on the head. They tell you, we'll get things done for you. You can count on us. And that's what they do. to defu they, So they, they basically are using the threat of violence to crush these movements and saying, work within the system that's completely rigged and corrupt. You'll be fine. We will help you. And then you see what happened with uh, – with with the uh, George Floyd protests, nothing. They, Biden has done absolutely nothing. Here, here Sabrina. is another thing. We'll let Noel speak, uh, Roger. Go ahead, Noel. Here's the other thing that we have to consider when you talk about movements and sustaining that. That takes infrastructure, which speaks to Roger's thing about organization. But more importantly than that, it takes resources. It takes resources. A lot of times, the reason these actions fizzle out. It's because nobody has the, the wherewithal just to do these things for free. Every When you talk about a working class movement and sustaining it, people have lives, they have 
you know, children, obligations, and nobody can just do that. A lot of the reasons with the unions, they have to build up the resources and be prepared to go on these strikes. Even when you look at the civil rights movements, um, the civil rights movement, there were a lot of cases where the movement was in trouble and Harry Belafonte raised funds through the Hollywood elite type and they helped fund the movement. We're finding out now there's, a, I think, a book coming out about the um, elites in Hollywood who funded the Black Panther branch out in Hollywood. There are people who are contributing significant resources to these movements until you find those greater angels in the society to do it and let the organized infrastructure of the movement move it without all these strings attached. It just doesn't work. You, In order to sustain it, you have to have infrastructure and you have to have people with, you know, uh, infrastructure with resources. Like Salma Sewant was saying, she, even though her salary as a member of the council in Seattle was X, Y, Z, she contributed so much of that to the um, socialist movement thing, the organization that she was a part of. And that takes a whole different type of commitment to say, XYZ portion of my salary will go to this endeavor. But otherwise, you don't have the resources to do it. And unfortunately, with Black Lives Matter, when the millionaire class came in like Soros and stuff, their money came with instructions. And that's yeah, how it gets co-op. And this is exactly where uh, the mutual aid piece comes in. So all of these unions that you see go on strike, that does not happen without some form of mutual aid set up. And this is why we constantly tell you guys like how important mutual aid is. Now, that money comes from somewhere. That money comes from people who have the money to give. And there are people out there who have the money to give. When we raise money for JB to keep his apartment, because I think some of you guys might have been around for then. You remember that. JB mm -hmm. was, a, they were going to uh, evict them because they raised the rent so high. And obviously JB is disabled. So there's a limited income mm -hmm. and we raised the money. There were people that just had had a hundred dollars to give. There were people that were just like, let me just throw it. When we organized for Camp Dada, I don't know who this person was. It was an anonymous donor, but someone donated like a thousand bucks. Wow. Like there are people who, who do have it that are watching and they do have it. And they're like, let me give this money to this cause. So that's where the mutual aid piece comes in. And that's very important because to Noel's point, people do have families. Like people do have rent that they need to pay and things like that. And I think that, you know, they had those same concerns during the civil rights movement as well. But I think a, a, a big difference was back then. And we're talking about a time when a lot of people, it was just one income coming into the household, right? And a lot of the, the women stayed at home with the kids. So they had less money, but they had people contribute and they had people, you know, donate to the movement that made those things possible. So when Noel tells you that there were people in Hollywood that contributed to the Black Panther Party in California, they made those things possible. So that piece is important. I want to make sure I bring in Frank. Frank, I don't want to forget about you. 
and then um, I'll go on to Ruben. Yeah, I, I, I just wanted to say about uh, um, the worker co-ops is it's possibly another ex Colorado experiment, but the governor has actually been pushing them in speeches and the state legislature has actually been putting out uh, bills, uh, mostly symbolic, but they've been putting out bills to encourage uh, worker co-ops. So I'm not entirely sure that it's something that they want to crush or don't want, but it, it could be just an experiment in Colorado. And, and you know, if it starts to go awry for them, then get rid of it. But um, they are they are pushing them here in Colorado. And um, and also, I've, I think I've decided to to write a, a, a book on um, how the, the balance of power is uh, is on the is on the professional licensing class and how they cheat, lie, and steal to maintain that capital order with that uh, the balance of power and the professional licensing class. So I'm going to be starting working on that. Awesome! awesome. Sounds good, sounds Frank. good, Frank. Okay, thanks. All right, I'm going to bring in Ruben. Ruben, you are on the mic. I know we kind of got off subject here a little bit, but uh, what's your take on all of this? Kremlin attack, who done it? <laughs> um, hi, can you guys hear me? We can hear you. Okay, awesome, good. Um, who done it? I, I would want to say it was the West. Obviously, well, the West helped. Um, but I'm not. Um, I didn't read that much on what happened. Um, on um, with that attempted assassination attack, but I just I have a feeling that like the West helped Zelensky do do something with it. Um, I was just just piggybacking on your guys's um, take on unions and Amazon. So I live here in Hollywood, and since you guys brought up like how the Hollywood elites used to help um, fund the Black Panther party in California so I live in Hollywood and the worker um, and the writer strike is here in Hollywood obviously and I live literally like across the street from one of the sites and I wanted to interview like one of them um, one like union member and um, I was able to talk to one union member and I'm like hey I was wondering if if, if you have time for like for like an interview some someday not right now and um he's like yeah sure i'm um i'm 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 available i'm like all right sure and so i told him just fyi i am gonna have hard-hitting questions like i deal with corruption within the the whole political system not just republicans but democrats um and i said you know um the reason why I like unions is that the modern day union movement that we're going through at the moment is organic because like we see voters from across the political spectrum. You have your Trump voters and you have your dissolution voters and you have your um, your your Biden vote. I mean, your 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 Bernie voters coming in and making this thing so organic, just like Amazon did, you know, um, Christian Smalls. He um, he um, like Trump Trump voters helped him. Um, organized and that's why blah, blah blah and so 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 I gave him examples about that and then when I said Trump voters like I can tell that that particular union person or like union um, leader like his eyes like kind of opened up a bit and I said you know I 
like one of the questions will be like the failure of the Biden administration and how they broke a strike from the rail workers and also how start like how Starbucks is also, you know, putting pressure on the Biden administration, you know, those type of questions. And then he changed his mind saying, oh, sorry, we're just um, our our goal is to get the working class against the corporate elitist. And I said, OK, sure. Yes. Um, and I said, of course, the corporate elitists have one party and that's both Democrats and Republican working together. So I you know, these, these, these are like the hard-headed questions. And he's like, oh, I'm sorry. I don't think my space is, um, is you know, it's okay with that. And I'm like, all right, sure. Um, sorry if I, um, if I said something off, but um, I, I'm, I'm still going to support the writer's strike. And um, I think that, like, the I, I just talked to one union leader. I'm not sure if all union leaders in this workers um, and, and this writer strike have the same mentality. But, you know, you, you, you guys didn't mention how, how the Democratic Party did come in and, and, and co-opted the, the Black Lives Matter movement. So, um, like, I left that little chit chat, like, feeling just, 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 you know, just disheartened because, you know, the because unions are made out of people regardless of political spectrum and when i said trump voters um that one union leader um kind of like became defensive and then shut down a potential interview which you know that sucks but at the same time like i'm still gonna like support the writer strike so um with that being said like 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 what are your thoughts on that cuz that was pretty much disheartening for me to 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 hear that they have like a partisan political agenda i guess yeah i've heard that before um and here's the thing when you say organize the working class that means the working class that doesn't mean the working class on the left that means mm. everyone who's a part of the working class so maybe the the way to frame this next time is maybe not to say Trump voters, but just working class. Because once you throw in the partisan, you know, political side to it, that's when you'll start to lose some people. It's unfortunate, but that's mm. maybe okay, that's true. Something we've like, been dealing with a like, lot of corruption in mo most of the major unions, though. So that's that's not you know, uh, of course, when they, when you start to. Uh, really push press them on whether we should work inside or outside the system they're going to fall back on a lot of the major unions well uh they'd see that as a threat actually like, yeah and then when organizing yeah exactly and when he like like that one specific union leader like hopefully um it's not the whole entire union leaders um that like are are running this writer strike but I'm still going to try to reach out. But when I um, but when I said that, he reiterated, like, yeah, it's just the working class against elites. And I'm like, yes, working class people have a plethora of political ideology. So, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I said, I was just so disheartened, just dis disheartening to listen to that and see, like, oh, they have a particular political agenda because, like, the the TV execs and the and the, the television execs do have close ties with with the Republican Party because they got money from Trump's, you know, taxes, mm -hmm. um, tax cut. And 
to which I've seen a, like a few um, Trump, you know, Trump sucks type of um, writings on their pitchforks. And so I, so I kind of saw that like, okay, this is, this particular union has that partisan mentality. Um, but um, yeah, I just, I just felt so disheartened that like the Democratic Party, I mean, this type of union um, is still on that partisan mindset. Yeah, you, it's disheartening to know that union leaders can also be bought off. Oh, yes. So that's why it's grassroots organizing that's always going to be the remedy for that because the rank and file must, you know, be able to take a look. I mean, look at the railroad strike, right? Um, mm-hmm. Those people came out, had to come out and later on and say, look, we did not want because the Democrats were coming out and saying, well, yeah, we were just doing what the union, what the, what the rank and file railroad people wanted. They wanted to settle. They didn't want to keep fighting for, for work, good, uh, good working standards. It's completely ridiculous. So that there's got to be like, uh, I mean, if you have union leaders who are going to, uh, you know, encourage working within the system to preserve their own position in leadership, they have to understand that there's going to be a, uh, that, that if they defy the will of the rank and file, they're threatening their position. So it always comes down to, for me, grassroots organizing, which is a really hard thing to do, but it has to be done that way. But here's another See, thing to consider, too. All unions are not constructed out of the same type of workers. And writers traditionally are generally better educated and probably more sophisticated. And you don't see those type of solidarity with those what I would consider professional white collar unions with the blue collar unions. Like you don't see the teachers union coming out in solidarity a lot with all of the other unions. And so saying Trump, as Savvy suggested, may have triggered a partisan type of ideology because of the, you know, politics of Trump. But you may also have struck a um, class, a type subclass um, issue because these workers are not just like blue collar workers. And so it may have been a different type of signaling and a different type of division and subclassism that was going in other That's words. right. In other words, they're bougie. No, just kidding. <laughs> no, there's there's a lot that goes into this. There's they're a lot that bougie. goes into it. But I'll, I'll also add, too, I think that, you know, obviously, like, organizing is not easy. Like, it requires hard work. And sometimes you have wins and sometimes you have losses. But I think what's important to know is that you really have to find a way to get the unions to collaborate together, regardless of the industry. This is why protests in countries like France and the UK are actually successful because they have unions working across industry, protesting together and making demands together. You know, look at how, you know, congrats, congrats to the Starbucks stores that were able to unionize. I've interviewed multiple people that have tried to unionize the Starbucks stores. Congratulations to those that were able to do so. But at the same time, and we brought this up when we did the activist summit, I asked myself, what if Starbucks, Chipotle, 
and other restaurant industry employees came together all as one and went on strike together. That actually would have been even more powerful and they probably would have had all of their demands met. And that's the thing, like more numbers usually can produce more results for you. And then you see what's happening with Starbucks now, what they go, they have to go and testify in front of Congress and still making excuses for why they did what they did and why they fired people who tried to unionize. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. that's not acceptable. Don't have Mm -hmm. a retaliation policy, you know, in your handbook. And then you're still retaliating against people because they tried to unionize. So I think that that's the key here. And when we talk about a general strike, One of the things I've said before, if you have the railroad workers, if you have the truckers and you have the port workers all go on strike in solidarity, that's your general strike. Once you shut down, once you shut down the supply chain, that is a wrap. And that is all you pretty much need to happen. And so when the railroad workers were threatening to go on strike, I really wanted to see other unions support them in solidarity. Yeah. And I felt like we really did not see that. Nope. Right. You hit it on the head when you said that when they Starbucks did wrong things and they were called out for it, that's when the union should be like, you know what? We try to play nice wildcat strike. Exactly. So here Yeah, and a hundred percent. And then the other thing is too, is that in reference to the railroad workers, it's really interesting that people are just now realizing that they did actually want to go on strike because of that article that came out. That's right. But when I, I interviewed them months ago, when some of you remember this, and what did they tell me? They said, we did vote to go on strike. Exactly. And people tried to argue me down about this and say, well, no, they didn't want to. I'm like, I interviewed them. They, they did, did yeah. vote to go on strike. And it's just, it's, I'm sorry, but that was old news. Here's another that one. That was directly, directly from the workers. So here's another uh, weapon. So the first, worker cooperatives. The second, push your attorney general to file to uh, to to uh, revoke corporate charters. Um, the third, right of first refusal laws. Okay, so the right of first refusal law will kick in. They have it in England, when before a company decides to outsource to go public, to automate further, to, uh, to, to, to merge, or if they have a record of egregious behavior, force them to uh, uh, either one, they have to make an offer to their workers to purchase the company before they go public and merge and do all those other things. Or if they have a record of being egregious or whatever, force them, you know, you know, revoke, well, I guess it's the same thing, but revoke the corporate charter and reissue out to them a um, co- cooperative charter. You know, you see what I'm saying? So there's a, there's another, there's another weapon along, you know, in conjunction with using uh, uh, citizen ballot initiative amendments as well. Um, but also here's the thing. You, also, you always have to remember the thing about unions, at least talking about unions in the, in the private sector, okay, is that they are a reform 
to a capitalist system. They're not transformational. Okay. We even they so when you leave that capitalist system in place, it will always come back to, to bite you. So like I've heard the Elizabeth Warren strategy of law of hey, get some people get some people in the boardrooms, like worker representation in the boardroom, uh uh to have worker representation on the board. Here's the thing. As long as you leave the corporate in place and not make it unconstitutional for them to exist, they're not just going to rock with that. Eventually, they are going to, let's say, first of all, Elizabeth Warren wants to start with like, oh, 40% of the board has to be worker representation. What? Are you kidding me? They're just going to roughshod over them. If it's not, make it more than 50%. Yeah, but even that. if not, yeah, that was the dumbest thing. But here's the thing. What makes you think that they're just going to be happy with that? No, the corporatists are going to either, uh, they either going to buy out they or they're going to, if they can't buy them off, they're going to try to whittle that down from 40% to 35% to 25% to 20% to 15%. And whoever's left, they're going to buy them off. Or they're not buying off, they're just going to kick them off. That takes decades. Reason being, you left the corporate system in place. You have to have transformational and go from talking about unions, talking about the private sector, unions to cooperative ownership of not just, let's say, let's say Starbucks, but Starbucks, they got to get their supplies and, and material from a supply chain, you know what I'm saying? And have them buy their stuff from another cooperative and a cooperative before that. And you establish these multiple supply chains. Perfect. You see what I'm saying? So the unions, I'm, I'm sorry. I mean, it's all good with unions or whatever, but it's just not good enough. When when I hear, uh, my bad, I, I said the K, when I hear Shama Sawant talk about <laughs> she, she's a socialist and then she talks about unions, I'm like, no, no. Socialism, like you said, like it says in the dictionary, socialism is when the workers own the means of production. So how how can you be talk saying yo you know just saying Sean Sawan she's talking about union union unions it's like no you need to be talking about seizing and owning the workers the means of production worker mm -hmm. and community cooperative ownership if True. you are a socialist you know and don't give me no she's talking about twenty five dollars an hour also I'm like we we'll back to the twenty five dollars an hour I mean you know. You got to be talking about, like you said, maximum wage. You got to be talking about how about a minimum wage law that is set thirty that is set permanently thirty percent above local housing costs. So this way, you're not really putting a number on it. You're like, all right, well, whatever the housing cost goes up, then the then exactly. the wages got to be thirty percent more. Instead Which is of the like, way it should be, yeah, exactly. Right, exactly. So it to me, I, I look at you know like what she's doing, and I'm like, well. I'm glad she's doing it, but it right. just to me, just like okay, here's another one. You you talk about you, Sabrina. You talked a lot about the DSA and how like corrupt they are, and they're just nothing but Democrats or whatever. I want you to think about this for a second. How are you going to have the word socialist or socialism in your name, in your name. when you are set up like a hierarchy exactly instead of right. like a co-op? 
Mm. That makes no sense at all. That is exactly so, so true. What I think you know the what problem mean? is with some of these unions is that they've replicated a top-down structure, and they you're you're fundamentally with, even with the structure of the union disempowering the rank and file. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that's why a co-op idea, works better. I think the idea is that you start with the union first, and then eventually you develop that union into a worker co-op. Yes, and this was the piece that. Uh, someone had mentioned this to me in reference to the Amazon unionizing was the next step would be to develop it into a worker co-op. That would be the ultimate, ultimate dream. Right. Um, So I think we can't just stop at unionizing. We have to take that next step because like you said, we've seen this before where union leaders have kind of sold out. Exactly. Also, but but here's the thing with, with, with the thing, with the, with the unions, right. Um, No matter what you do, it's still, made to be hierarchical uh-huh. you know what i mean because it is representative democracy unlike something flat like mutual aid and and uh citizen ballot initiatives and worker co-ops which is direct democracy exactly. you know what a union will so roger people have different knowledge bases and skill sets and you know, when I first started working at RTA, I was a member of the union, and I'm just sorry, everybody is not equally qualified to hold certain positions in these unions. Now, they do get to vote, and they can vote presidents and leadership in and out. And what I'm saying is there is a place for a certain type of hierarchical organization within any unit, because a lot of times, you know, there are certain things within a context that just are not possible. And sometimes people just can't see it because all they know is what they want. And so I'm saying you have to allow for a structure where those who have different knowledges and different propensities to lead and communicate, you have to have some type of order. Because when you go to the total flat thing, Everybody is not equally educated or prepared to do the certain jobs that are within that organization. And, you know, you just, you know, that's just a necessary part of it. But people do have a voice and they can change things. But I'm just not so against, you know, a hierarchical thing in terms of people having specific job capacities. And at some point, like Shama was saying, with um, their organization. You know, she just didn't decide to run for office. They voted and said, okay, she's the best person and we're gonna run you for office. So she was kind of like voted by the collective to do that. And so she was, you know, because she was the person in the seat, it gave her a type of platform and spokesperson thing, whether she wanted it or not, it came with the territory but she was she's clearly very skillful and they recognized it which is why they voted her to be the one to run for council so when you talk when we talk about organizations and organizational structures you know we still you know for me i value the majority having the bottom line but we also have to be careful of things like the tyranny of the majority and and we just have to be able to have those types of discourses and, you know, have effective organizing and 
a hierarchy is not necessarily a bad thing if it serves the greater purpose of the organization. That's a really good point, Noel. I'm going to get ready to head out because it's getting, it's like way past my bedtime, but um, I did just want to add that uh, in reference to organizing. So the RBN chapter should be starting this month, at some point this month. Uh, for those of you in the Boston area or in Massachusetts with me, um, there's certain things that I'm looking for. So I will try to cover that maybe might be Sunday on Sunday stream. I'll talk about what I'm looking for. I know one of the thing I am looking for someone to teach a financial literacy class. Um, so obviously this is mutual aid, so you won't be paid for this. So I'm looking for volunteers basically. And I'm looking for people to do this once a month. We'll start out with once a month because we're all busy and we have a lot going on. And I don't really, I don't really expect you to be able to do this kind of stuff every week or every other week, but once a month financial literacy, I'm looking for self-care I'm looking for because people are really stressed out and people need to learn how to take care of their self um, in a safe way, <laughs> obviously not, not, not in a medicinal way. I'm not looking for someone who's going to give people medicinal advice. I'm looking for someone that's going to give people advice that is more, um, how do you put it? Non-medicinal. <laughs> there are ways like, for example, yoga, something like that, uh, that type of thing. So financial literacy, uh, self-help. Um, I would teach the uh, alternative forms of higher education. So I would teach that. Um, and I'm looking for someone who wants to do some type of uh, exercise or yoga kind of thing. Like those of you who like to, you know, work out. I mean, I work out but I'm kind of picky about my workouts. But if you wanted to teach people how to exercise at home, because not everyone can afford a gym membership, but I would be looking for that. Um, and then obviously a collaborative group of people to come with me every other month to do food drives. So that's important as well. Um, but I'm looking for different things. And as we get closer to the winter months, obviously I'm going to be looking for to, to do a winter clothes drive. So we're going to want to raise funds for that. I would handle that on my end. You don't have to worry about trying to raise the money. We've been, I've been doing this for a long time, so I know how to do it. But coats, gloves, hats, those kind of things, things that people um, need here for long winters. So uh, should be looking to launch that some point this month, hopefully later this month. And if you're here in the Boston area, hit me up. You guys know my email. It's on my the details tab and all my videos, email me, hit me up. And then once we get this up and going, then I will be able to sit down with people that live in states that RBM members do not live in. And then I can teach you how to do it where you live. So that's the goal. Oh. But everyone's needs are different. Like where you live, people may, meet, may need something different. Like here in Boston, higher ed is like a really big thing, but there are a lot of families here cannot afford it. And there's not enough financial aid to send everybody to Harvard and, yeah, and um, MIT. This is keeping it real. So there are alternative forms of higher education. So that is a big need here. But you know what the need is in your area. If you're like in San Francisco, if you're in Colorado, if you're in all these other places, you know what people need there. So hopefully we'll get this up and going uh, this month and I'll keep you guys posted. But other than that, 
Ciao, Bella. Got to head Thanks, out. Thanks, Abby. Bye. All right. And thanks for letting me have my crazy ideas in a nice, safe space where you guys have a lot of things for me and my crazy ideas. Thanks, Case. Nighty night. Keep up the fight. Bye, Roger. Bye. Good morning. (laughs) Good morning, Noel.